Oh my god. Where on though? Oh, Robbie, you want me to put Robbie Williams? Welcome to Down the Robbie Hole, the podcast where we look into why Robbie Williams is the strangest figure in British pop music, and boy do we have an episode for you today. We are going to be looking at Robbie Williams' seventh album, the 2006 Rude Box, and there are many things to say about this album. I'm Matthew. I'm Jonathan. And I'm excited, and also Nathan. <laughs> this, oh boy. Now, the thing about this podcast is me and John look into the background of the albums. We see what Robbie Williams was up to at the time, we dig into the context. But Nathan is completely unaware. He can only listen to the music, watch the videos, and read the lyrics. And this week I was under real lock and key. Uh, <laughs> the lyrics, apparently on Genius, were too spoilerific for me to even look at. So we tried AZ lyrics, and we realised they were actually spoiling too much. So we got to the point where we even had to make a mass document of the lyrics for me to read. So I pretty much had no internet access to Robbie Williams this week. <laughs> it was just music and lyrics and obviously the videos as well. But... We, we had to lock him away from the writing credits because there, there are some names that pop up here. I, oh my god. <laughs> I really hope someone I put in the group chat yesterday is on it. I doubt it, but it would make my world. We shall see. We shall yeah. see. Oh, god. how do we even approach this? How do we open the root box? So, if I'm not mistaken, the idea behind this podcast was born because we were bored and joking around one day. Mm. And you guys explained to me briefly that Robbie Williams was fucking mental, apparently. <laughs> um, and apparently, like, is this how you guys like got into it? This is, yeah. This, this is, is the, this is the start and tipping point. Yeah. So if you've been sitting around listening and going, okay, he's done some weird shit, like saying he wants to eat Carly's pussy live on an interview, which was insane. But it's not been that mental. I think this is it, right? This is this is where we we go in the deep end. This is honestly the reason the podcast exists. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've made it this far, stick around because this is going to be it. I think it's important to draw a contrast to last week's episode because that was his most boring, unenjoyable album yet—a real transitional wasteland thing. It, intensive I, care. I wouldn't even call it transitional because like, what was it transitioning? It was like, to? It was like saying it was like it was like as unenjoyable as a transitional just, album with no direction. It just didn't exist. Like it shouldn't exist. I wish it didn't exist, and it's never going to exist because no one listens to that. Like <laughs> I think we were the first people to listen to that on Spotify for about three years. Since he Robbie listened back to it himself, like there is no reason anyone would listen to any of them songs. I was, I would say I was angry, but that would require the album to have given me some sort of emotion to feel about it, which it was incapable of. Like it was just apathy. By the end of it, we were all like, okay, all of this is completely middle of the road, not what we want to hear from Robbie. We'll take anything apart from this. Yeah, <laughs> and we were so bummed out that we made me listen to a live recording of the title track. And first song, Rude Box, which we'll, we'll drop in in yeah. this episode. I have a live reaction to hearing it because it's pretty fucking mental. I, so I think it's important to note, this is the episode that me and John have done by far the most yeah. research for. Yeah, mm. I've, they've turned up with dossiers today. Like, there is so many notes. Uh, we joked, but we have four hours worth of recording time and there was genuine debate whether that would be enough to get through <laughs> I think the insane shit he's done. Collectively, between me and Matthew, we've probably put well over 50 hours of research into this <laughs> Oh, definitely, yes. without a doubt. Yeah. I, I know I've spent a day of my life on one particular aspect yeah. of this. Uh, which gives me... There is actually going to be a Robbie Hole exclusive in this episode. An actual Robbie Hole exclusive. <laughs> I'm... 
Unbelievable. For the record, I have no idea about this as well. This yeah. is all him. I don't know. What okay, great. Okay. It's, it's going to be good. Okay, I'm excited. Should we, should we just jump into it? Because there's so much to get through. Do we have pre-album context? Um, uh, I feel like we should just reiterate. So obviously, last week was Intensive Care, which came out in 2005. He did a massive worldwide tour for that album. It was his biggest tour yet in 2006. And he releases this album while he's still touring Intensive Care. Yeah. So. And the last one was his first one without Guy Chambers, his longtime songwriting yeah. partner. And this one uh, also, you know, continues that streak. It's him having wandered away from Guy Chambers. And his last one, it's worth noting, was a huge success. I mean, the tickets for the World Tour ended up setting Guinness World Record for how yeah. fast they were sold. Mm-hmm. And the last one as well sold over 6 million total worldwide, which is... But we did begin to see a downturn in single sales yes. with the album. Yes. So while the tour was incredibly successful, we did really, for the first time since Robbie started see a downturn in his performance yes yes. which is i think important to put out there because no one who is on top of their game makes this happen do you know what i mean no one who is not backed into a corner somewhat allows this to be exist i'm actually so pleased like the amount of pins you're setting up right now Nathan, is just unbelievable cover talk yep we gotta cover the cover it's not great but it's better than last week it it's a fairly simple image, but it, it feels perfect for what it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. I did write 2006. Like that. That's just what I wrote <laughs> about the cover. I was like, yeah, this this fits. It's Robbie in an Adidas tracksuit, and it's all sort of posterized, so it looks like it's made out of little blobs of color. And it's got the word rude box on it, which is, you know, always takes the cover down about two points. <laughs> it is definitely better than last week's, though. Uh, worth pointing out, question. he did have an Adidas tie in tracksuit released. He collaborated with Adidas. Oh Can you buy God. it? You, I've looked on eBay for it. There's one seller in Spain that has it, but it would cost like £90 to buy. Shall we? Uh, that's only 30 quid each. we got to get the fit. we got to get the Robbie Williams United Football Club shirt. we got to get the Tiger Pants, and we got to get the sweatshoot. <laughs> that's the, the, the tracksuit. The sweatshoot. Kill me. The sweatshoot. The sweatshoot. <laughs> so, nothing really to talk about. There is something to talk about with the album title, though. Okay. Are you aware of this, John? Uh, I don't think so, no. The album wasn't originally called Rootbox. As any sane album isn't. It was originally called, and I genuinely think Robbie's timeline would go a lot better if he stuck with this. It was originally called 1974, which, if you remember from his rap on kids, Born 74, there's only one of me. The year of his birth, like Taylor Swift in 1989. Yeah, I, I think 1974 is a better name, but I don't think it fits the album any better. I think towards Maybe the end. towards like... the end. But, Jet, like, I don't want to get into general album talk too much, but... I know we give ratings. I still haven't picked a rating. I, I'm so unbelievably conflicted. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get onto that. But yeah. Rudebox obviously was chosen after he decided to, you know, the lead single was going to be Rudebox, and you thought, we're going to go all in on the Rudebox. Is, is now a time to discuss what is a Rudebox? Not yet. Not okay. yet. We've got to get that on the title track. But then he actually, there was, in between, there was another album title he was going to go for. It's like Swish and Waves. He was going to go for Rudebox 74. Which is an insane, like little hybrid title. Which I kind of think sounds that's like a car. Than uh, just a rude box. Because it does combine like <laughs> the worlds that this album strides across. Yeah, I, I actually think that's a much better title, even though it's slightly different. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's better. I mean, I don't think it's good, but it's better. Also, um, do you think the 1975 would have still called themselves that if the Robbie Williams album had been called 1974? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'd have found a more pretentious name that you found in a poem book. Yeah, like the. I don't know. You ever make a gag that you know that Limmy one where he's like, I know even for like a sketch was supposed to be about bad jokes. That was awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly like, what yeah, you're on about. Yeah, 
Um, okay, right. Should we should we drop in my live reaction here? Okay, yeah. So we we're gonna talk about the first track, Rude Box. And just before we do, in the last episode, because it was such a demoralizing slog of an experience, we thought we've got to perk ourselves up. We had Nathan live react to the song and video for Rude Box, and we'll play the highlights and such here, along with his initial reaction after hearing it for the first time. Uh, hello, quick Robbie Hall message. Uh, this didn't work out. Uh, it was fun for us in the room, but it, on the audio it's basically just long stretches of silence because Nathan was listening with his headphones and it doesn't really, there weren't really as many, you know, to edit it, it would be like, it just, there wasn't a way to make it sound good. Uh, this reaction was cool though. Yes! And that basically summarizes the whole tone of the thing. But um, yeah, it didn't. And the discussion we get into afterwards, we ended up covering in our discussion this episode anyway. So uh, yeah, we've uh, we've cut this bit out. Um, okay, back to the uh, uh, back to the past. And we're back. So let's really get down to discussing Rude Box. So a big thing last week is I did have the lyrics open to listen to it. Uh, I just had I also had the video, so I had a lot going on. Um, and some of it I didn't pick up on. Some of it I did because it's so insane. It's not. It's like impossible to not hear it. But one that I did miss is him calling the Paralympics the Special Olympics, yeah. which was very mm. polite of him. Dance like you just won at the Special Olympics. Yeah, game. which is a yeah. um, bit problematic. Which is maybe a theme. Honestly, this entire. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. Right. Cards on the table. This is one of the worst songs I have ever heard. Yeah, this song is a nightmare. <laughs> I. I think it is incredible that it exists. I am unbelievably happy he's doing it. <laughs> I, I don't even mean this in like a sad sort of way, right? The big issue we had last week is things were boring. You can say what you want, but this is not boring. Mm. Like, I also don't think the music is that bad. I don't think it's worst thing you've ever heard bad. Honestly, uh, like... Uh... Just to like play by play for the audience, this album starts and you immediately hear a, a woman's voice saying, do the rude box, shake the rude box, before a break happens and it breaks into a beat that I think can only be described as disgusting. <laughs> it, it's, it's genuinely, I don't know, the, the sonic palette of this is insane to me. Like, it's just farts, clicks, grunts. <laughs> I, I love that it exists, though. Like, without doubt, I... I don't care. Like it's bad, but I love that it does exist. We'll it get... needs to exist. We'll get onto why Robbie Williams has opinions about it existing or not in a wee bit. But I, I think it's worth noting that it was um, the first time he'd worked with electronic producers Soul Mechanic. Okay. They did the beat on this, and if you're thinking why haven't I heard of them since, I think it's probably because their name is attached to Rude Box. Yeah. But so. He described them in an interview in this poor little behind-the-scenes little documentary about the making of the album, where it shows him like doing this whole like thing where he's standing by big graffiti signs, wearing a tracksuit, surrounded by so women, gigantic like '80s boomboxes. That doesn't. It's just from Robbie going to be like the sensitive singer-songwriter on his last album to trying to kind of be a rapper, kind of. Uh, uh, is what do you mean? It's definitely an attempt at rap. Well, like, it is, but yeah. it's like well, the thing is, the flow that he uses here is the most unwieldy, horrible flow I've ever heard. Like, yeah. like we'll get onto the, but like, um, sing a song of Semtex, pocket full of Jurex, body full of Mandrex, are we gonna have sex? 
Will you wear your knee socks? It's... Back to the rude box. That is not a flow. That's just horrible. The bit where he says, split your kecks on the jacks. is <laughs> unbelievable. He says that out loud. Like, someone said them words out loud in a studio and it was recorded. I genuinely think this song, like, you could go line by line. It, it's like, it's an actual nightmare. Every single line is a nightmare. I actually, right. I actually don't think the chorus is that bad. He completely took it from another song. <laughs> okay, like I don't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> didn't know that was coming. <laughs> Just to be clear, that's not a setup. I actually, I genuinely don't think the chorus is terrible. I think it's quite catchy at times. It, the bit where it, it, it turns into like you know the sort of breakdown of the chorus where it's like root box, shake your root box. That bit's bad, but that. Got this double phantom. That bit's yeah. actually pretty good. Like, if you put that in another Robbie song, I'd be fine with it. Yeah, he took that from a song called Boops by, um... <laughs> a song called Boops, Here We Go by, um... Uh, Bill Laswell, Carl Aitkins, Bootsy Collins, Sly Dunbar, and Robbie Shakespeare. Uh, Robbie Shakespeare being associated... Yeah, Sly and Robbie were the duo who originally recorded Boops. Okay. Uh, Robbie decided to sample. Like, it's the exact same chorus melody, and he changed some of the lyrics for it. But... Okay, well, so, yeah, that, so that anything bit. Robbie did on this this bit fucking sucks. <laughs> um, but that one particular bit of the chorus where it builds up is, you know what? I'm gonna throw it out there. It's good. I like that. Particular I bit. disagree purely just because of the vocal processing. Yeah. On oh yeah, the vocal performance really is not good. Yeah. It, but it's like. It's like that intentional thing Neil Cicerega adds to like Smash Mouth remixes to make them sound intentionally disgusting and off-putting. <laughs> I have, I have a question. Did he record all of this in like a portaloo or something? Because like there are I don't mean this song, I mean the album. There are many tracks where I noticeably went, What is going on with the audio processing here? Like, there are so many moments where it is bad and like it was recorded in like a room, like literally like this living room, and someone just put the mic in front of his face and he did half a job. Like there are moments of genuine terribleness you'd be surprised uh some of the stuff that's to come later okay <laughs> but, cool um also just a bit on the production side something that i really loved that robbie said in that documentary was he said oh, i'm gonna get it up he said soul mechanic the duo who produced this song he said they were like it was like finding two pharrell williamses in stoke-on-trent <laughs> <laughs> i've got to be real i don't think this song is as good as any pharrell production has ever been uh, yeah, I mean... Also, Pharrell's, it's got... Pharrell's pretty good, in my opinion. Yeah, Pharrell's incredible. Yeah. Especially <laughs> yeah. around this time, he was producing for, like, Justin Timberlake, like we said, the Rock Your Body oh, Beat, which is insane. I mean, let's... Uh, I like, mean, there you go, right? That's hilarious that he said it's like finding two Pharrells while Pharrell is, like, writing Timberlake's biggest hits, like, after what we've talked about in the last few weeks. Like, well, come on, like... I saw an interview he did in 2006 where he specifically comments on a comparison between... Sexy back and rude box, which is so funny because they are like uh, it's the most poundland thing ever. Like rude yeah, box just really cannot is. compare to sexy back. And Robbie said that basically he didn't really feel a sense of competition with Justin Timberlake <laughs> yeah, because because there was no competition because Timberlake was destroying him. No, actually, he said because he didn't feel they were competing in the same arena. Robbie said he felt he was more <laughs> competing with the likes of U2, Eminem, and Coldplay. They are three <laughs> radically different bands. <laughs> I mean, Eminem's not a band, but in what world was he competing with mid two thousands Eminem? Like, like if you listen to this, the rapping on this track is genuinely incompetent. 
It's yeah. horrible. Yeah, there is back. no flow. It's just a guy sort of saying stuff for a bit. It's funny when he says fat lass. That's you don't funny. sweat much for a fat lass. Which that is... is genuinely fantastic. Uh, and one more thing about the Justin Timberlake thing, right? He said, like, well, you know, I see there is a bit of similarity between me and Justin Timberlake, you know, on his track Sexy Back, because I'm white, he's white, and we're both being black. Which isn't a thing that holds up too well as a quote. Uh... He, we obviously mentioned how this is him trying to be a rapper, and there is a quote about him talking about this. Uh, he says, I've always wanted to be a rapper. I've always been jealous of rappers because of how comfy they are and how cool they look. They've always got a tracksuit on and trainers, and I have to dress up because I'm a pop star. I want to be a rapper, but the world won't let me. The only reason I've craved my own niche is because it's not that easy. I love words and will continue to use them. It is bittersweet about a decade where I formed an opinion I was wrong. He likes them because they're so comfy. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, he, he he acknowledges the existence of Eminem, but if he raps, he has to be black. It's not a great look, is it, Robbie? Also, I mean, there are parts in this album we'll get to later on where he's definitely trying to be black, which is... Ah, oh, uh, there he yes. is. <laughs> Some dodgy stuff yes. going down. <laughs> But, um, okay, there, there were a couple of things about this album. So, obviously, this track, I mean, this track. So, when they released it, obviously, no Robbie Williams song in existence has ever resembled this. Mm-hmm. No real it's... song has ever resembled this. It's, I it's cannot believe this is, this is the first this single. This is the lead single, yes. Uh, who allowed that? Oh, boy. The, the, you will not believe how it... much of a thing this becomes. I don't know, is it spoiling it to say now that... I, th- I think we should first talk about the lyrics a bit more in yeah, depth. I just want to rattle off a wee thing first, but... Because I think the lyrics themselves are, so- are stuff that needs yeah, to be heard. To we're be not giving this justice at all yeah. now and saying this is like... I don't think I don't think any words we can say can describe I mean, it. Do we just do it line by line? To I, I really, think we yeah. honestly should. You, yeah. there's, before this happens, you just need to go and listen to it. Because we cannot make this as insane as it actually is. Go and listen to Angels, okay... And then put this on and consider it's the same person. And I don't mean that in a good way. Like, quite often you can be like, go listen to this song and then this song of an artist. How, look at how they've progressed. No, no, it, this is insane. These are the same person. This is less progression and more like sustaining a grievous injury. <laughs> yes, yeah. In fact, remember that I probably cut the bit because I don't feel it came out too well, but. A couple episodes back, I talked about how Rock DJ had, like, a horrible, malformed brother in, like, the attic. Yeah. I feel like Rudebox. Yeah, Rudebox is <laughs> it's the brother in the attic. Rudebox is, like, the like the id to Rock DJ's ego. Yeah. Like, it's just the yin to the yang. It needs to exist, but... <laughs> if they ever meet, like, they'll, an antimatter explosion like, will happen. Comparing this to last week, like, I'm so happy this does exist, because it is simultaneously the worst album and also the best album ever written in history. So I can't wait to go. Yeah. Okay, so we should go through the lyrics because yeah. we we can't. There is no way to do the song justice without explicitly saying the actual lyrics line by line. Should I get the lyrics? Or are you just gonna read them to me? Yeah, we'll just you know read them to you. I'll get up genius. I actually want to get them open just in case. Our oh, AZ lyrics doesn't spoil these ones. So yeah, Rootbox is all good. Um. Oh my god! I, I, I literally every time I read this lyrics, it's like. I can't believe they're real every single time. It's worth pointing out as well, there are three verses in this song. Like, it's a fairly long song, considering it's his first foray into this type of music. Yeah, yeah, this is... Yeah, it's not half a swing, is it? You can say what you want, but it's not half a swing. The the fact... Like, every time I listen to it, after the second chorus, I'm like, oh, this is pretty much done. But then he does another verse, and there isn't really much... (laughs) There's not really much of what you could call progression in the song. It's just the same mistake happening three times (laughs) in a row. We're just going to go through the verses, right? Because... 
I, I guess no. We have to do the yeah, choruses. Yeah. So we're gonna start with it. Do the rude box. Shake your rude box. And that's repeated like eight times. It's four so, times, but yeah. Okay, so I think we sign me a dress for you, Nathan. What a rude box actually is. So I got three theories. Okay. It is your mouth, because it is well, how you can produce rude, rude boxes. But that doesn't make any sense because he wants you to shake it. So it, is it your ass? Maybe that would work. Or is it is it the you know, a vagina? Is it the front? It could be any of them three, but I, I have a feeling that somehow it will be something different. But it's further further complicated by a lyric in the first verse. Yes. Yeah. It, it, so, I, I feel as well that it sounds like he's... Deli- like Because Robbie Williams, he's the kind of guy to open his last album with Here I Stand Victorious, The Only Man Who Made You Come. And the idea of him doing an entire album named after a slang term he's invented for the vagina <laughs> is not beyond his scope. Yeah. But then he... Well, it's like yeah. John said... In the first verse, you have the line, I got the rude box off the back of a spaceship. So sick, I just had to take it. Oh, I yeah. wasn't going to say that one. There are so- a rude box is whatever... It- the rude box is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It is multiple things within the song at different times. The thing I was going to say, but that one implies that it's an actual technological yeah. unit. But the thing he says later that I was going to say, so box is American slang for vagina. Mm-hmm. But he then later says, like, he says something... This is, this is off topic, but I've cut this, but saw a thing this morning that was like someone asking Brandon Flowers <laughs> if she could put a box in his face like in an interview and he's just like what the fuck and like walks <laughs> off like staring at her because he has no idea what just happened it's mm. so one of them like joke interviews who like on purposely ask weird things to fuck with people and she's just like can I put my box in your face <laughs> and just like what He's a Mormon. Like he had to take seven Is he actually? actually? Yeah he's a proper Mormon. That's insane. I didn't know that. That makes that funnier. But anyway but, like, okay, so we've established it may be, like, a technological thing. I was thinking, like, you know, maybe he's just talking about vaginas. But later on he says, grab your rude box because your box is righteous. So that automatically, like, takes away the idea that it could be a vagina because he's already said your box is righteous in that way. It's like if somebody said, like, oh, I was, like, driving around, then the other driver sucked me off. And you think, oh, he thinks it, that's what cut him off means. But then he end up saying, yeah, oh, and then the guy cut me off as well. <laughs> There's also the line in the second verse, if you try to jack me, I'll rude box you. If you rude box me, I'll rude box your whole crew. It's so a rude box it, it, can be a verb as it well. Is... <laughs> rude box can be a verb as well. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I want to know what it is. I think I'm happy to live in a world where the rude box is both alive and dead. The Schrodinger's cat of lyrics. Schrodinger's cat is actually in a rude box. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, oh, bring the physics jokes. Uh, I freaking love science. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, like, if it does mean arse, which, you know, it's not out of out of the realm of possibility, it's such a horrible... The only thing I can think that's close to it in terms of euphemism is dirt box, which, I don't know, the idea of someone saying shake your dirt box is like a sexual come on. Yeah, I, I don't think he has an idea of what yeah. it is. I think it, it's just a word that he thought sounds sort of dirty, but isn't, but is. And then... <laughs> was this track written by 11 people? It does feel like at times it was written by about 11 people. It has a lot of writing credits, but only because of the sample. Because the okay. track it samples, I think, samples another track. From like a yeah, yeah. Thing. it's like a bit of a chain. So it's pretty much the blame does lie squarely at the feet of Soul Mechanic for the beat and Robbie for the actual lyrics. Should we get into the lyrics? Um, I'm just thinking, there was one more thing regarding the Rude Box thing. Oh, yeah. 
the fact that this was the album's title was not received well at all. Because it had been rumoured to be 1974 for ages. I dug around, like, Robbie Williams fan forums from around that time. And I also saw there is amazing. It goes back to, like, the 2006, so it's perfect. But um, it's so sick. We are really starting to get into the era where the internet is documented and exists. It's perfect. Yeah, it's yeah, so like, perfect. this is really coinciding with, like, the rise of documented internet where, like, chat rooms exist and stuff like that. Like, 2004 and stuff, we're not quite there yet. It's not really popular, but, like, right now, forums are about to take a big rise. And like all this crazy shit is about to happen, which it, it feels like perfect timing. It feels like the world had decided it was time to give us this. It's like when I saw a link that said, um, I don't know, like, user Jupiter's Rudebox negativity thread, I thought that was so sick, I just have to take it. <laughs> so I, I clicked on the link, and the amount of people, like, we'll get into the reception of it, but it, it's crazy. But um, something about the Rudebox thing is that I love that there's an article I found which was like harshly condemning Robbie Williams like in a very sort of haughty moralistic tone and it included the little aside in his most recent album in brackets tastelessly titled Rude Box <laughs> I mean really that isn't wrong me. though that is the problem it is tasteless it's like it's it, the album is titled like the beat of Rude Box sounds just yeah. like unpleasant <laughs> it, it feels like someone's licking you and you don't know what it is I yet. don't know where it is there's a song he sings later and like I just wrote like this just needs to be sang with more sex like it just needs more like to it I can't we'll get to it uh, but like okay. it's, it's again something we've got into where like he says things that are sexual that just shouldn't be said like that this is literally about as sexy as like a like, deboned chick there is nothing wrong with calling her album something overly sexual okay there's nothing wrong with it but calling it rude box and implying that is overtly sexual is tasteless because what the fuck is it? This to me is like the prime example of like, like it's like we said in his previous albums, the whole Robbie sexual weirdness thing where he tries to talk about sexy stuff and just falls flat on his face into a weird, disgusting, curdled mess of metaphors and stuff. This is the peak of that. This is the yeah. least sexy song ever in. If somebody tried to have sex to this song, they'd get a disease like spontaneously. <laughs> Right, you just have... <laughs> gotta cut that. Yeah, I know. But, okay, okay, let's get on to the verses. Okay, then, back to basics. <laughs> <laughs> the way he says it is so good, I'm obsessed. It's like he doesn't even, like, we're only on the first line, but there's so much to analyse in literally... The way he starts the verse is so lethargic and the opposite of how any rapper is like, okay, then... <laughs> yeah, I mean, so far, though, not ridiculous. We're one line in. <laughs> yeah. Okay then, back to basics. Kind of makes sense. All right, we're fine. Okay, all right. He's saying, it's, I don't know if this is his basics, but you know, he. Yeah, I was gonna say it's absolutely not Robbie Williams' basics. <laughs> yeah, as far from but his basics. you can understand. Yeah. You can understand the point of view. Grab your shell toes and your fat laces. That's like an instant, like Amber, two thousand six, like Amber Stamp. This is yeah. two thousand six and can never be separated from that context. Yeah. he's ruined. He has dated his song irreversibly in the second thing he ever says. In it. So Shelto's referring to like trains with yeah, the big Shelto's, yeah, like, around the and, time when yeah, like and the fat lace, yeah, where rappers so. wear like huge shirts and the like, yeah, like. So that's already like an incredibly funny thing to say ever. Okay, then back to basic. Grab your Shelto's and your fat laces. Like I'm gonna like that's a great thing to say to your kids when you're going off to like you know Disney World. Don't know why I said that, really. <laughs> but yeah, um, that exists. Then, a little hand clap for some funk faces. Not too bad, you know? It's like a party kind of track. It's... And make your body move in the following places. Now, that implies the rude box is a body place. I don't know if that implies that the rude box is going to make your body move, though. But, like, we start with shake your rude box, implying move it. And then we're now saying move your, make your body move in the following places. Kind of referring to 
like the following places, as in the root box. I don't know. That's don't my know. read of that. I, I'd say it's like I think you could if you owned a root box and was technological thing, you'd shake it just like you'd shake like a cassette player or like but a fishbowl. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. Goes up your back and then down your spine, and when it hits your head, nothing. Yeah. Now. There was actually a line here. I don't know if you found it, John. I haven't found it. In live performances, he does actually include the missing word, which makes perfect sense. I don't know why he did it. Because <laughs> in the studio recording, it's goes up your back and then down your spine. And when it hits your head, 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 it just does like a little delay thing. What he actually says in the live performance makes perfect sense. He says, goes up your back and then down your spine. And when it hits your head, rewind. Perfect. Yeah. It just makes perfect sense. And there's a rewind sound effect in the studio track. It just, I, I don't know if he's trying to do the thing where, like, Missy Ellett did, like, a chorus where she, after the first verse, it, like, she does the reverse it, I, I'm, I flip it in the reverse it, and then it's her actually yeah. speaking backwards. Missy Ellett can get away with that because, like, the whole gist of the song is about reversing it. Like, oh, that's a cool thing she's doing. I can't sing that because it's backwards. That's also but... a good song. Yes. Yeah. It's not Rude Box. I think Rude Box is... I think... Okay. I think it's... No, no, no. But um okay so okay this is this is actually this next line's good okay then back to bass heads it's smart because it sounds like basics and you see what he's do, yeah that do you works. see what he's doing there it's do, about, do you, you know, see it yes yeah okay <laughs> it's you know drug users that's okay that kind yeah, of works sense. and then he follows it up with now would anyone like to be on record saying this because I'll, I'll <laughs> it could take, be clipped out of context I'll take the bullet <laughs> he then follows it up with. Dance like you just won at the Special Olympics. <laughs> Which, I, I, in terms of decisions, that's always the wrong one to say that. <laughs> now, it's really important because you can probably hear me giggling. And this is something we spoke about off, off mic. Is that we've sometimes laughed at some of the problematic stuff Robbie Williams has done, and that's not an endorsement of what he's done at all. So he says that line, which like it's a very two thousand six era of Little Britain kind of like, oh, this is he's he's all you can't really defend this line. It's just making fun of disabled people. Yeah, that's like referring it. to disabled people as special like that is, and also and being like, like Paralympians as well. Yeah, like, these people are incredible athletes. And just saying like, even if you have won at the Paralympics you are a target of mockery. I think that's legit actually messed up. I think that's like one of the few there times are, on record. There are multiple like, moments for this album where he is incredibly, I don't even want to use the word problematic, like he's in, he's just he's just incredibly offensive. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is uh, this is like one of the few moments in Robert's discography that I've heard that is like genuinely like reprehensible. Like yeah. he said some like embarrassing stuff, but this is actually legit. Yeah, like, this is like mean and just mean spirited and offensive and doesn't need to exist. The genius annotation for this lyric does say that he has become embarrassed with this line in hindsight, but I'm not sure. I mean, that's that. that's fair enough. As you're I, saying, like, the weirdly, the cultural zeitgeist was allowing this at the time. It's, I, yeah, but, like, to be fair, even at the time, this did receive a bit of press backlash. Good. And also, when it was played on radio, that line was censored. Good. And in recent live performances, he's changed it to dance like you just want at the, like, effing Olympics. So, like, just sort of talking about the Olympics in general. I mean, so that's, that's fine. Also a better line. Yeah. It has none of the horrible baggage of what he said there. Yeah, and works. And like, so sorry. Heaven forbid a rapper swears in his own song as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's 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 much better that way. But he, um, yeah, we're gonna spend forty minutes on Rude Box. I we, think we, we need to, to speed up. Uh, I don't know. Okay, well, he then says, 
I got the rude box off the back of a spaceship so sick I just had to take it. And we've been over this, like, talking about is it a technological thing? We're not sure, but you have to take it. And then, oh boy! <laughs> the R-U-D-E-B-O-X. Up your jacksy, split your kecks, sing a song of Semtex. So, okay, here is, like, you know he's no longer aiming for America. You don't break America by saying, oh, you're Jaxie, split your kecks. Yeah, you don't get that. It's over. Yeah. Like, it, <laughs> if it was over last week, it is dead in the water this week. But at the very least, you get the sense that, like, there is this sense across the album. He's kind of making stuff that he wants to make. Yeah. For better or worse, he's, like, genuinely on this track. He's... Yeah. Um, he's... In, in fairness, the word... Jaxie's kind of problematic as well, really? No, 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 no. You're thinking of the other one. Is Oh, shit, I am, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that we all instinctively knew what was coming yeah. on there. Um, My bad. No, it's all good. So then he says, uh, so after the amazing Up Your Jaxie, Split Your Kex, which doesn't belong in any hip-hop song ever. Like, it doesn't it's like... any songs ever. <laughs> yeah. Maybe parody songs, maybe? Just maybe? Not the lead single for Robbie Williams, though. Yeah, yeah. But... Like, this is... <laughs> This is really something you could see, like, Stephen Tries rapping in one of his, like, fake songs that he used to make. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is really something he could say to the lyrics of Sharp and would work. Aye, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's it's so absurd how much of this, like, feels like it should be a comedy B-side, but no, lead single material. And then we have, so interestingly, Semtex here could possibly refer to a DJ, DJ Semtex, who sort of played, like, um, underground sort of grime... Uh, uh, hip hop stuff on BBC Radio One Extra at the time. Could also refer to plastic explosives. I don't know. I I think <laughs> I think it's either way to be fair because there is a chance that Robbie you know listened to a lot of like because to be fair he did say that the hip hop stuff in this album was specifically influenced by a track called Routine Check by the Mitchell Brothers featuring Kano in the streets, which is a track in yeah I know entirely um, about police brutality and how like um, young black men in the UK were being stopped unfairly by police just because of the way they were dressed and stuff. Yeah, by like two serious artists. Yeah. Yeah. And except that, well, uh, Robbie Williams takes the influence of the UK version of Grime sound at the time, and I, I don't even know what verb I could use to describe what he does to it. If you've ever listened to any of the streets, this couldn't be further away. Also, like, also, I don't know if this is like a, I, I think Mike Skinner, honestly, in terms of flow, has problems almost as bad as Robbie Williams. I think, like, he, he just... He... Yeah, but I think he knows that and doesn't attempt to hide that. I think that is... You know what? This would be a good street song. Like, some of their stuff is meant to be like this. Up your jacksy, split your kecks. <laughs> like, legitimately, like, they have they have some songs in their albums that are clearly piss takes. I mean, like, Fit But You Know It is kind of similar to this in the way that it kind of tries to, like, you know, like, oh, well, fair play. Like, the way it but, doesn't like, really try Fit and... But You Know It captures a scene within the UK. Yeah, it's a little story. Yeah. There's there's one song I'm thinking of in particular called Can't Con an Honest John oh. that is a piss take of running a con scheme at like a pub where like they'd like steal a dog from a local park and then like do some weird shit with it. And like it is it is clearly an attempt at comedy. Like it, it, it couldn't be more obvious that he, he's not taking that seriously. And it's not weird like this, but like it does tell a narrative story though, so I guess it's a bit different. But I, I, could, see, I could see an aversion of this making a Streets album. I, I think the thing with this as well is that it kind of... There's, Robbie's clearly trying to be funny in the way that he's got his cheeky sense of humour in the other parts of his songs, but this is just... 
everything about this feels inappropriate. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. work in any context. Pocket full of Jurex. <laughs> yeah. So this part, right? Sing a song of Semtex, pocket full of Jurex, body full of Mandrex. So Mandrex is Ludes. The stuff that Louis Leo DiCaprio takes in The Wolf of Wall Street that makes okay. him go Google. I was trying to work out what Mandrex was. Uh, I thought it was like fucking tissues. <laughs> <laughs> Toilet paper for men. Yeah. I swear that there's a tissue brand called like something Drex. Please. Andrex. Andrex. Oh, I don't oh, know. I think. So then he, so so he's setting, he's setting a scene here. This is the full scene, right? Sing a song of Semtex, pocket full of Jurex, body full of Mandrex. Are we going to have sex? Yes. Will you wear your knee socks? Oh. <laughs> Back to the room box. The, the ad-libs on here make it. So now he's also referring that you can go back to the room box, implying it's a location. <laughs> so it, it we've already had multiple instances of room box. Oh, actually, there, it could still be a body part. If you get my meaning. Yeah, I do get your he meaning. It could have been initially, uh, but, but then... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah anyway, and then we said this... Got this double fantasy... Like, that That works better. I, I do want to elaborate on the... Are we going to... I think this is incredibly unsexy about an artist saying... I was going to say, it's this whole section with the pocket full of GRX and the split caps is profoundly unsexy. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the way he says, are we going to have sex? It's like, yeah, it's so bad. He may as well be saying S-E-X. Like, it's just yeah. so horrible. But then he follows it up with, like, will you wear knee socks? But the part that gives it for me is this this little ad-lib in the background where it's like, are we going to have sex? Yes, will you wear your knee socks? Oh! It's like, yo, I'm going to have sex, and then he's going to wear some socks! Like, it's so horrible. But then he goes back to the rude box, and we get the chorus, which is entirely taken from boops. Yeah, I, there's nothing to unpack here, it's fine. Uh, so yeah, got to stop fantasy. Yes. We just never stop. I've got one design that's to funk you to the top. No, it's on my mind. There's only one thing you'll find. I got one design that's to bump you till you drop. You know, it makes perfect sense now that this is from another song because it in no way relates to the rest of it. Mm. It's a completely different sound palette. It sounds like a sort of disco-y kind of thing, while yeah, the yeah. rest of it is just this sort of. It's disgusting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can't get over I how ugly good. this song sounds. Yeah. Now, Rude Box, do the Rude Box, which again. In Weird. Um, Cause you so nasty. Okay? Rude box. Shake your rude box. Why are you so nasty? Now, Matthew, you've got a point of contention here. Yeah. The thing that gets me about this is that... So, the line, Why are you so nasty? Because you so nasty has potential to be done in a sexy way. Except, here he gets some guy to do it in a really pitched down way. So it Why are like, you so nasty? Because you so nasty. It's just... Again, another incredibly, like, impressively unpleasant addition to the sound power of this song. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, if, if he came out like, yeah, I was just trying to fuck with you all, I like, would be like, yeah, well played, you did a fantastic job. <laughs> but lead single. We will get, I keep on, I think we will get to this, such the catchphrase of this mm-hmm. podcast, but yeah, the, the fact that this lead single is incredibly it, it's, it's incredible. Like, I genuinely, I feel like it's going to be revealed, but like, who allowed that? We'll, like, we'll who get actually allowed it? But with the chorus, right? The part that gets me is the way he says, why are you so nasty? It's like, why are you so nasty? Like, it, it, it sounds like he's genuinely pained. Like, he's he's like, why are you being so nasty to me? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's the weirdest pronunciation he could have gone for in that song. It, it, again, manages to detract from the sexiness immensely because it sounds like it's coming from a wounded man. And then you think you're out. We're going to have a, maybe we have a little teaser and he does one verse of rap just to try himself out with a nice little sample. But no... Okay, then, back to spaceship. What is that? It doesn't make any grammatical sense. <laughs> Fuck off, Robbie. 
take both pills, fuck the Matrix. Want to make it clear, if you took both pills, you would not break the Matrix. The way to break the Matrix is to take the pill. Like, the one recommender is, is the red pill, right? Like, that is how you break the Matrix. I actually think this is an unironically good line. This is actually <laughs> funny. Like, it's just... Because I also imagine... I don't know much about the Matrix, but I just have this feeling that if you took both pills, you would die on the spot. <laughs> no, because, like, one pill is, like... It will, like, make you unconscious, so it wakes you up in the, like... The real world, yeah, but yeah. then it'll, you know, you'll see the And then matrix. the other pill is just, like, nothing and just makes you wake up in the Matrix the next day. Like, it's just, it's just like a knockout thing. But I, I love the fact that, at the very least, taking both pills would do nothing good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it would fuck the Matrix, apparently. <laughs> has he... Has he spoken about his feelings on the Matrix? I feel like he would love the Matrix, but I feel like he would love the Matrix in the way that you're not meant to love the Matrix. I, I haven't found anything about him specifically talking about The Matrix. He might, it, it strikes me that he pretty much has the same opinion that most people have about The Matrix, which is that it's a good movie, but yeah. I don't know. You know. I, I, I'll take, but what if The Matrix is good? Dude, what if? Couldn't be me. <laughs> then after The Matrix thing, he says, Jack those Jills, shake your Playtex. Now, I had to Google what a Playtex was. It's a brand of women's lingerie. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like it's some weird sort of kinky shit. But it's just, they're kind of standard looking bras, and I also think Playtex oh. is a disgusting name for anything. It yeah. sounds like it's like, I don't know, Play-Doh that is put on your penis to make a cast. Yeah, I mean, is, <laughs> is Jack those Jills referring to, like, masturbating? And to me, for some reason, it gets... I don't know, it sounds to me like some sort of drug euphemism or whatever, but I think more than likely it means absolutely nothing. Because, like, obviously, like, male masturbation can be referred to as jacking off. I think it's quite an American thing. But the female version of that is funnily called jilling. I've, I've heard, yeah, people... Yeah, like, that's like an internet, like, subculture of things. That's an internet subculture of women jack off? Yeah, yeah. Do you guys know about porn? <laughs> Have you heard about it? Yeah, what? Um, yeah, I wonder if he's referring to that. Um, and then... Then he so, asked you to rock three stripes, not the A6. And I won't lie, I would also decide to rock three stripes over the A6. You're literally wearing an Adidas shirt right now. I am now. literally wearing an Adidas shirt right now. But, um, yeah, the A6, I honestly didn't even know what A6 were before this song, to be fair. I didn't oh, know. really? Yeah. yeah, it's a running brand. Yeah. Yeah. But Their then, running gear is actually really good, just off topic. It's weird, Adidas and A6 aren't competing. I mean, I guess they are, because Adidas do make technical running stuff. Like, Asics isn't a fashion brand. Adidas is. I think it's like when Kanye said, like, got the same shoes as my wife, but she copped them at Aldo. <laughs> like, I think it's the same sort of thing where he's just sort of being, like, bragging about how he can afford expensive Adidas stuff, and then... But, like, Asics are more expensive than Adidas. Really? Like, yeah, like, Asics running shoes are expensive running shoes. They're a real running brand. No, I, I mean, like, there's levels to everything, but, like, the, the top-level Asics shoes compared to, like, top-level new... Uh, top-level, um... Adidas running shoes, like Ultra Boost and stuff. Like the top level Asics are like two hundred and sixty quid. Well, I guess he justifies why he decide. He even given this, he prefers Adidas by saying A D I D E. It's the A D. Nice mate. Nice. Well, well done on spelling. Right. Adidas. Okay. Sorry. Okay. A. He says A D I D A S. Old school because it's the best. So I think he's just yes. playing on the yes. Oh, in fact, we need to do those ad libs as well. Okay, so he says. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the ad libs. A D I D A S. I'll do it again. I sorry. Yeah, I can't do. It's the A D I D A S. Old school, cause it's the best. Now I realise I was messing that up the entire time. A D I D A S. Old school, cause it's the best. Yes. T K Max costs less. Yes. Jackson looks a mess. Bless. <laughs> <laughs> it is incredible, right? So, 
we talked about how he'd given up on, you know, America. Yeah. Referring to TK Maxx is... is yeah. Is... Is the nail into the nail into the coffin? Like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, he's put, he's nailed d- down the coffin, got another bit of wood, and nailed that in. So, like, to well, clear- the thing is, TK Maxx do exist in America. TJ Maxx, TJ Maxx. Yeah. exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, sure. you could not, in any way, say this album yeah. belongs to Britain more than using the word TK Maxx instead of TJ, especially because TJ Maxx fits. Mm-hmm. And if you were interested in a worldwide market, it's only TK Maxx here, I think. Because yeah, of TJ, TJ Hughes, Hughes yeah. which used to be another department store, so they had to be called TK Maxx here. The rest of the world calls it TJ Maxx. So it is an album for Britain. The Americans actually called TJ Millers. <laughs> this kid, get him out of here. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so the 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 this... tracksuit he has is bad, by the way. Yeah, it's really ugly. Yeah. we'll get onto the video as well. But like, <laughs> so the sentiments that he expresses in these lines are: he likes to wear Adidas because it reminds him of old school hip hop. TK Maxx is a cheap shop, and Michael Jackson looks ugly. Those are three sentiments in a the row. The man is just spitting facts. <laughs> I wonder what came first, if it was the lyrics about Adidas or the tracksuit deal. Definitely the tracksuit deal, right? I don't know. It strikes me as, like, Robbie Williams, from all the interviews I've seen, he has such a genuine affection for, like, old-school 80s hip-hop that he just There's really... no way anyone in an Adidas board heard this and went, we need to get this man a deal right now. That didn't happen. Yeah, that's the point. I didn't even know about the Adidas deal, to be fair. I don't know. I, I still maintain that I think that it's likely that he just approached them separately and made sure they never heard this song. <laughs> but, okay, so the Jackson looks a mess. Bless. This is an interesting part. Because it actually garnered a bit of controversy in the press for, you know, being a diss to Michael Jackson shoved in the middle of a song with no surrounding context and they're just being, like, swatted away with the next line. So he says Jackson looks a mess. Obviously, Michael Jackson at the time, you know, he had a lot of plastic surgery. People were talking about in the press, like, wacko, jackal, and the like. And so he decides, in the middle of Rude Box, to just, a pro of nothing, just say that he thinks he looks hideous. Cheers, mate. But the best part about this is, right? So, Michael Jackson died in 2009. So, you can't really say that when you're doing live performances after he's dead. So, oh. in live performances in around 2011, he changes the line to Jackson, rest in peace. <laughs> Bless. <laughs> Which is so funny to me that he went from, look how ugly this insane, horrible plastic surgery freak looks. Now, rest in peace, buzz up. No, this goes. I mean, the thing is, right? Does he just feel like that's appropriate because of, like, he's so used to being attacked by the press at this point that he's like. Yeah, that's just part of the business. Honestly, all of it confounds explanation to me. I don't know yeah. why. I think a lot of this song just feels like him just like spontaneously coming up with stuff to try and fill the beat. Like I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to anything in this, <laughs> this song. Really. This is actually a freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> like he said that a lot of this was like coming up with his friend like kind of like as a joke and like putting it together just for the fun of it, like breaking away from touring and just being able to you know shoot yeah. off steam. He, he has described this album as a gap year record. That he made with his friends. In terms that makes of, a lot of sense. In terms of freestyles, like you know, you got like you got like Kendrick's on on the Mad City album, and then this, in my opinion, like it's really the pinnacle. If Kendrick Lamar started a freestyle with "Okay, then back to basics," I think my brain would explode. <laughs> I just wouldn't be able to take it. <laughs> but okay, so so there is this feeling that okay, this is thrown together a lot of. <laughs> I just get up out of doing this. <laughs> okay, so God, where were we? Uh, so it's, Okay, then what to do if he tried to jack me, I'll rude box you. If you rude box me, I'll rude box your whole crew. 
Because it's what I do. Ain't that right, boo? True. So, this kind of... Uh, right, we're starting to get... Is the root box actually the Matrix? Because <laughs> he's being chapped into it. Is it a thing he gets plugged into? Do you know what I mean? How do you shake the entire Matrix? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, ask Neo. <laughs> How do you do the entire Matrix? Is that technically, is that what Neo did in the movies? Did he do the Matrix? <laughs> I don't actually know what happens at the end of three, so um, probably. Uh, the Ain't That Right Boo True line is apparently a reference to a Notorious B.I.G. song where he also says, Ain't That Right Boo True. Oh, he's quoting Big Popper. Big well, so, Robbie Williams loves to quote hip-hop, like classic he, hip-hop tracks. There's some Wu-Tang <clears throat> stuff later again, right? There's there's a moment, actually, I I, I think this is his best he, album for quoting classic hip-hop He genuinely tracks. does seem like a big Wu-Tang fan. Like, he's talked about them like four or five times in the albums now. Yeah, he, he genuinely, like from all the things that he said, he actually loves... He, he loves 90s hip-hop. He loves 90s hip-hop. There's a... Oh, boy. Okay. So, um... Okay, so... Uh, then he says another quote this is from the Beastie Boys he said I'll ride with you if you can get me to the border because the sheriff's after me for what I did to his daughter I did it like this you did it like that I love it when you double clap 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 yeah so that's a quote from the Beastie Boys track Paul Revere which ex- includes the same thing you know get me to the border the sheriff's after me for what I did to his daughter and that one is I did it like this I did it like that I did it with a wiffle or that I can't imagine that the Beastie Boys flow is a little bit better Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the beat is better too. It's like entirely backwards. I, it's really interesting. That, wait, well, now you've said that, that is, like, I haven't heard Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys. I'm, a, I'm like a semi-Beastie Boys fan, do you know what I mean? Like, I know the big stuff and I'm a big fan of that, but I don't know all of it. But that is such a Beastie Boys verse, yeah. especially with the wiffle ball bat. Like, that is, that is so Beastie Boys, it's incredible. It, it, it also makes it so that line is less terrifying coming from Robbie Williams. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. sheriff's after me for what I did to his daughter. Yeah, it doesn't sound sexual, does it? It sounds like he murdered her. But, um, okay, so... So, I love when you double clap. Is like, that raises questions to me. <laughs> does he mean clapping your ass? Or does he not know what that means? And just likes people clapping really fast, like, in double time. <laughs> I think he's... Yeah, I think he's a double time fan, yeah. Because in the music video, he does this in... He does... We, we will talk about the music video, but... Will we? Uh, we we'll, we'll breeze over it. But he does this gesture with his hands when he says double clap that I can't really put into sound because it's been doing it with my hands. But it's insane. It's like some sort of weird symbol that is like a signal to everyone watching it, like, <laughs> please buy Rudebox. Anyway, then he says... Got this double fantasy. Yeah, we just we'll have got it. Oh, oh, Rudebox. Third verse now. Finally, third verse. Okay, then... Check the timeline, make your body shake like you stood on a landmine. Now, this lyric's inaccurate. On all the lyric websites, it says make your body shake like you stood on a landmine. It doesn't say that. It says make your batty shake like you stood on a landmine. No, he doesn't. He actually says it. I swear. In fact, I'll, I'll pull up Roadbox right now just to, just to prove to you guys. Let's take a sec. Yeah, 100% says batty, yeah. He definitely says batty. So, what we got here? I find this next line really funny. Call me on my mobile, not the landline. <laughs> just, uh, I don't know. Because, I mean, he did say he doesn't really have a mobile. Yeah, that's worth pointing out. He says, he claims that 2006 was the year he stopped owning mobile phones. He hasn't owned a mobile phone since 2006. Fuck off. Just, just <laughs> bullshit. Like... It's weird, because I, I do believe Robbie Williams tells the truth pretty much in most of his interviews, but occasionally there's some things he says where you're like, 
no. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest one is, no, I don't really care about making in America. I just don't care. Pretty much any time when Robbie says that he doesn't care, he anytime cares Anytime anyone has ever said that, like, I don't care, it's fine. I they, they, they're like, it's that meme of, you know, the guy with, like, the strapped-on smiley yeah. face, but below he's, like, screaming. It's fully that. Yeah. Uh, I, I I do think there is some part of him that's happy he hasn't made it in America. Oh, I now? I think by this yeah. time, yeah. yeah. yeah but yeah. there are earlier album cycles mm-hmm. where he's talking about it, like, despite the fact that Eden yeah, Ideal yeah. was, you know, deliberately going to try and break in America. And Jack the main line at the same time. Keeps, I don't know what that means. He keeps wanting to jack into things and, like, Matrix references and shit like that and, like, the Rubox falling off a spaceship, like... Kind needs to stop jacking in and start jacking off. <laughs> I hate you. Okay. But, um, okay, so then... He says that, uh, you know, is what we... So then he says, in the most disgusting way anybody's ever said anything on record, Okay, this is what we do. Got a jam so fresh, it's nice for you. It's disgusting. Every time he says, okay, it's very <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, give it what you got. And dial 808 for the bass to drop. So that's pretty cool. He saw it on 808 drum machine. So, yeah, it's crazy that, like, you know... David Bowie inspired Kanye West's name and this inspired 808s and Heartbreaks. Like, it's just, when you think about it that way, like, it's incredible. It's just horrible. <laughs> well, the first time I heard it until I read the lyrics, I thought he was saying, dilate, like, dilate. Oh, yeah. wait, for the bass to drop. Like, he was telling all the women to, like, go into, like, birthing positions. <laughs> I, I really thought that was what he was going for, but he wasn't. But, okay. Okay, then <laughs> what's the fracas? Grab your cardi, your lead hat, and your bus pass. You don't sweat much. For a fat lass, grab your rude box, because your box is righteous. So he says... The main, the main line here is, you don't sweat much for a fat lass. Incredible line. Do we need, do we need to comment on it, or should we just leave that in all its glory? I mean, it says everything it needs to say. I yeah. But it, it, it really encapsulates the entire song. Yeah, it is apparently a classic chat-up line. But Wow. Yeah, I'm going to start much... using that. Robbie's in a negging. <laughs> okay, bum rush the show. Okay, bum rush the show. I got high speed dubbing on my stereo. Like it's worth saying for these lines, he does this horrible. Yeah, I'm sort of not really saying it. Kind of disgusting, yeah. laid back, like delivery that doesn't sound suited for music at all. Uh, this is another reference. Public Enemy's debut album was called Bum Rush the Show. Why does he keep there's there's a peak of this in the album, but he really loves dropping. It's like he's almost signalling. I actually do listen to hip hop guys. I actually do. I didn't know that stuff. So yeah, that one did surprise me. Um, high, I got, and then he says this I got high speed dubbing on my stereo And all the tunes in the box for the cherryo You know I told you before Did you hear me though? Which, and we're done it's, the, it's, it's like the entire way he says the final part of it Almost sounds like he's giving up halfway through It's like It's, it's like sleazy you know what I mean There's like a real horrible quality to the way he says that That isn't there in the rest of the song There's one little comment about the song that I forgot to mention That is I kind of have a history with this song When I was a kid <laughs> when I, was I think a... we've all got baggage with it. <laughs> when I was a kid, I first heard this song because it was used in an episode of Doctor Who Confidential. Now, if you guys remember that, uh, it... yeah, I used to watch that every. Yeah, there was, was a lot of nods going on. This is this is a real Doctor Who Confidential room. I'm not gonna yeah, lie. This <laughs> not, to, not, not to dub ourselves in too much, but yeah, there, there was no dust. way we weren't gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> But for the view, sat on the chair with my sonic screwdriver, waiting for it every week. <laughs> okay, for the audience who don't know, Doctor Who Confidential was a show they show on BBC Three after the weekly episode of Doctor Who had aired, where they show the behind the scenes how they made it. It was really interesting, and from it you can get a grasp of the kind of camaraderie and behind the scenes fun that happened while Rusty Davis was the showrunner, and not Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall. But the thing that got me here was in the background of one of the episodes, they played the chorus: "Shake your rude box, do your rude box, shake the rude box, do the rude box." They played that, and as a kid, I didn't quite hear what they were saying. 
you don't really have any reference to the phrase rude box as a kid, so I couldn't really figure out what they were saying, and I thought they were saying shake your meatballs. Now, in my like, seven-year-old, barely cognizant awareness of sexuality, I kind of knew that, okay, like, guys kind of like boobs and seem to like it when girls shake their boobs and bums, so I guess girls must like it when guys shake their balls. We're cutting that. Oh. <laughs> I'm, not letting, I'm not letting you have that on the internet, because you don't want it. Trust me. You don't want people to know that. <laughs> Like, the word shake your meatballs is funny. But yeah, that's what I thought it was about. But, um, okay, so I we're done on the lyrics of Rootbox, which has taken us over an hour. And I think we now need to talk about the music video a bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, we did a little bit of live reaction to the music video last week as well. And it's just, it's very 2006, I think. It's Robbie in one room wearing a tracksuit, like an Adidas tracksuit, with like, Jamaican colours on it, I think. It looks like yeah, Jamaican colours. Yeah, colors. yeah, yeah. And a bunch of dancers in these kind of admittedly cool looking like laser light rooms where yeah. it's all like flashing green and purple and blue or whatever. And they're dancing. And uh, oh, there's one great part though, though, where he says like, are we going to have sex? And it, it's blink and you miss it. But like the dancer at the time sort of like has his fist in his crotch and then briefly goes, whoop. Like he does, as if he's doing like a jerking off motion. It lasts for a fraction of a second, but it's very funny. But uh, yeah, aside from that, Robbie, do you know what actually Robbie looks like? He, he's got kind of a haunted look about him. And um, it's like when you said on the cover of I've Been Expecting You, where he sort of looks like he's just woke up. He looks like that in this video, and he's got this constant weird lazy smile on his face, and he just overall kind of looks terrible. But it works for the song, because the song is terrible. Yeah. Not to jump too much ahead, but I think it's... What's the other video? Love Light? The one where yeah. he's... He doesn't look into that at all. Like, I, I think he looks jaded at times when he's, like, in them two videos. Like, this one and that one. Mm. I'm not saying he's not there, like it's not bad, but you compare it to other performances he's had in music videos and it's not the same energy. I think we can say this video is pretty much bad but perfect for the song. Yeah. Yeah. To me it's yeah. like a part of the song in my head. It's it's very bad 2006. Oh, and one last thing, the uh, the outro on the album version of this song has an extended little instrumental thing where it farts around for a bit that yeah. is genuinely very funny. I hadn't ever got that far through the song because I listened to it last night. I've had to multiple times this week listen to Rubox to make sure it was real. <laughs> like, since we listened to it last week when we live, like, do my live right? I just because I needed to actually check that it did exist. But I'd never actually made it to the end, so this time when I listened to the album in full, hearing the instrumental at the end was kind of fucking weird. It's shouldn't exist it, it shouldn't sounds like it's the theme tune to like a, a show like a gnome is a detective yeah it's just this weird farty synth thing yeah. that it feels like a cap off to the ridiculousness of the whole song like it's just the dumbest sounding we, way to end are we doing rude box reactions <laughs> what are we doing like reactions to rude box rude box reactions oh the reception I get you now yeah uh, right so as we said this is the lead single for the album it releases Bad. the 4th of September 2006 the album comes out 23rd October so about a month and a half ahead um it peaks at number four on the uk charts but who the fuck bought it, this but it drops off very very quickly yeah have we not just got to the point where they've changed how they calculate number one to include digital sales well i was gonna going from kind of as we go forward we'll maybe see him suffering more because of that because, because his audience he said himself are more likely to buy and less likely to stream because it's I'm being way more towards streaming. is the first like big thing to like be digital sales and online. It's crazy, by Miles Barkley, right? That's like the. I feel like that's like the turning point of when that begins Don't to be exactly. having count. I am not sure myself. Okay, I mean that might be completely wrong, but it's around mm -hmm. two thousand and six. It becomes digital sales yeah, and 
like r- r- physical sense. <laughs> yeah, this single it definitely has a physical issue still at this point. Like I say, peaks at number four very quickly drops off. It is considered a disappointment. Um, in terms of reception to the single, this the choice of Rudebox's lead single pretty much ruins Robbie Williams' career. The, the response to it is so bad that he he's done for at this point. As soon as the single comes out, he's done. This is a bomb. If you want to know what the Rudebox was, it is a bomb. But The Sun ran a two-plus page story calling it the worst song ever made. <laughs> In he, fairness, that makes me like it more. He became a complete laughingstock because of it. He lost his mind pretty much. The press totally ripped into him for it. It, it also kind of depressing. Even among his fans, I went to the forums and everyone is completely baffled by this song. They all think it's terrible. They don't know why he chose to do it. They think it's all accentuating the things that he's worst at. And they, like, even his hardcore fans, they're not are wrong. Blindsided. They're yeah. not wrong. They are all right. But like, it feels weird that you can go from what's it like four, five back to back number one albums, doing a swing album for a laugh, and that being number one at Christmas to career ruined by a single yeah it is incredible to think about like i feel like if you'd released like any of the other singles that you did instead of this one it would it, it wouldn't have been hit as bad uh, it's just i think the combination yeah. of it being called rude box it being the song that it is it just it ends his like the single should be love light that well we'll, we'll get yeah. onto that but they they did try and promote it though like, when it was first broadcast on radio on the Pete Tong show, they actually did a thing where... Yes, Pete. They wouldn't... They didn't say who the artist was and had viewers call in to guess. That's... Imp- that is really good radio. Like, yeah. in fairness to Pete, that's fucking good radio. So, um, I don't know how that went, but I know that was a thing they did. And in Germany, they tried to promote it by... And I haven't found a single picture of one of these, and I wish I could see it. They had Rudebox va- vans driving around Berlin that had a picture of the album cover on it, and the thing was, you could shake your rude box to win a chance to go into the van and listen to the song Rude Box, which I think is the worst prize ever given out for anything. That, like, that feels wrong. There's nothing actually wrong going on, but it feels wrong. What, you've never shaken your rude box to get into the back of a van? <laughs> Nonce. <laughs> but yeah, as much as the like general press response to it is fairly terrible, Weirdly, one of the major exceptions is that Enemy love it. Enemy think like this is his best album, and like stop praising him. Which I don't what know if it's just them they... trying to be like counterculture because everyone else hates it now, so they have to like it. That but this feels is like the a point. very Enemy move. This is the point it? where Enemy starts liking him. Yeah. Um, it's it's also worth noting this album. Uh, it's insane. On the Robbie Williams website, you can go on, and it says that it won the Ivan Novello Award in two thousand seven. This song. This song, an Ivan Novello Award for songwriting, except that it didn't. The Robbie Williams website says that he won it, but he was just nominated. I don't know why it still has that up and says that, but it, he was actually beaten by Madonna. Which is... She's Madonna. Mm, she really is. What Madonna song was it? Um, Sorry or something? It was something that was kind of, you know, you wouldn't really remember it, but... Why was this nominated? Uh, exactly. It's really bad songwriting. If you, everything about it's really bad, but the songwriting is so obviously terrible. Like... What what happened to NME? I'm like confused. Are you sure they've not deleted it from their website and embarrassed? No, there have been interviews they've done since where they specifically get interviewers who stand by Rude Box and like defend it in interviews. In fact, there's one of them which I'll talk about. They asked him about Rude Box and he says this is on 2017. He said he was in bed, like getting ready to go to sleep, and he just randomly he turned next to his wife and said, "You know, I stand by Rude Box," and turned over and went back to sleep. 
I just love that image of his something that's like constantly weighing on him. And in that moment, he's like, you know what? I stand by it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> respect. <laughs> you know what, Frank? We we were right about Roblox. It was it was uh, <laughs> it was us and him. It was us and him. Fuck him. <laughs> 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 so um so okay there are a couple other things about oh, this those a rude box um those rude box dance competition where so you could record a video of yourself like performing like to a song on the album uh and then like upload a video of yourself like dancing or whatever uh, what's hilarious is that somebody made an entire like you could pick a song from the album most people chose to dance to rude box somebody made an entire really well made like 2d animated video for the track the 80s but it lost out to like two people dance to Roombox in the bedroom webcams and I have no idea why because the music video they made is fantastic they didn't even get a runner up but yeah there was a competition to promote it that like didn't really help the matter but I ended up um, I've watched every single uh, YouTube video that is, has the word Roombox in the title as part of the research for this and every single one I've looked at the titles of every single one I'm going to say I've watched 80% of them okay so uh, you find some amazing stuff like somebody uh, this is an off like an aside but somebody made like a MacGyver music video where they took photographs of MacGyver from the show MacGyver and set it to Rootbox I don't know what on earth would possess a person to do that but <laughs> that that was a thing that you can find if you search for it um, but it's worth noting Robbie loves this song mm-hmm. Robbie loves this song he says that it's the song that he's played the most out of all his songs he says he, it's one of his personal he favorites he called it one of his favorite songs yeah does he still perform it live oh yeah yeah there's loads of in fact he performed it live at the MTV Awards in uh, Latin America um, and following it up he it seemed like a pretty standard performance that he did it energetically it makes you realize okay maybe this okay but it makes you realize that the performance of this song can be elevated above the studio version with a bit more energy either way the song's still terrible but then he concludes it by doing this gesture which i can only assume is like eating ass i've never seen that done before (laughs) like he does this it's hard to imagine like those lizards with the frills he does that kind of with his mouth but then he proceeds to turn around and just get his ass out which he loves to do i've seen there are so many videos where he gets his ass out Okay. okay, so I think we've wrapped up the title track, Rude Box, first single, and we're at an hour and 11 minutes now. So. Viva Life on Mars? Here we go. Yeah. I need to state that the fade between Rude Box to this is the most fucking insane thing that's <laughs> ever happened. There's like a genuine fade between the songs. Like, I don't have like the fade thing set on Spotify or anything. Like, the album like drops one out and rises the next one in, which should be illegal. <laughs> like we go from these ugly electronic bleeps to like guitars and like harmonicas and like, like... near country guitars. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a cowboy song. Yeah, he's he sees the song as "Oh brother, where art thou?" meets "Primal scream when they were good," but clarifies there have been three World Cups since then, which is just a quite a rude. Just thing to, to say. speak about that briefly, there is some beef between Primal Scream and Robbie. I can talk about the lead singer of Primal Scream in 1999. Said he'd like to set Robbie on fire, but shit doesn't burn. Oh my god! <laughs> That's a very primal screen yeah. thing to say, isn't and it? And Robbie naturally held a grudge. I, I mean, yeah. That's, I mean, to be fair, you would after somebody said yeah. they want to set you on fire. <laughs> but shit doesn't burn. <laughs> that is amazing. That is, I'm so glad they said that. Uh, I think we'll get into the lyrics and their significance soon, but I want to say I think this track is like actually pretty good. I yeah, I don't think mind this one. Better. Sure. There's a there's a little Star Wars reference. He says Ray yeah. Five standing by. Oh, and he also says if if the horse is blind, I'll use the force. Yeah, I I I'm not gonna go. That is Star Wars. I, you could just 
I don't know. I think yeah. it's likely if he's referenced Star Wars already. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an incredible change of pace. Yeah, it's such a weird it's track too. Much more Robbie as well. Like, it it's it's, it's like, not quite back, but like, you could maybe slip this on like intensive care, and it would kind of make sense. I think it honestly would fit on Sing When You're Winning. I think it has yeah. that kind of vibe. It's like, it's space country. I think that's the best way you could describe it, which space is a really country, yeah. weird thing, but I, I think it works, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm happy with this song. Yeah. I actually, when I was listening to it, I was playing Red Dead, like, just, like, in the background. I was like, this this is great. This really yeah, works yeah. really well. Do we have, is there insane stuff in the lyrics I missed? Oh, yes. Well, lyrically, it's obviously very sci-fi, yeah, very space-related. And this is standing by. this album cycle is where Robbie's alien interest hits an all-time peak. I think we should save it for the post-album okay, stuff because I haven't okay. slid in the timeline. But yeah, there is more. To come okay, to is there something specifically in the lyrics that I? I is don't... this the one with the weird second verse? It's like just insane, or is that? that that's all of thing. them, right? Uh, to be fair, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know the part where they say they can't stop this conversation is quite. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of that bit. But, um, yeah, what this song's actually about is... I, I think we, we should bring it up later, or... Uh, I mean, can we can bring it up now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, What this song's actually about is Robbie finding conspiracy theories on the internet and sort of realising that it's a very mid-2000s, like, the internet is a great source of knowledge that we can, you know, learn from alternative sources and build a more amazing future, and then basically everything gets bought by Google or whatever. But at this point, Robbie was in a mindset of, like, wow, I'm reading all these cool alien theories. I'm, my brain's getting so big. And so the song is about, like, like that's why they're saying, you know, they can't stop this conversation. It's like, our third eyes have been opened. It's, like, it's basically it about Robbie spending too much time on AboveTopSecret.com. <laughs> <and websites like that. laughs> Robbie is definitely a Rick and Morty fan. Oh. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm good for that record. He definitely loves Rick and Morty. It would not be surprising. Okay, yeah. I think View Life Mars is a pretty good track. Yep. You know? Love Light. Love Light, oh, I think this is amazing. I think this it. is this such a good song. Inc- I'm so happy. Yeah. I was ass. so it worried. Ass, man. I listened to, I've listened to it six times today. Yeah. I'm not joking. I, I'm genuinely... It's so good. I think the biggest compliment I give it is, like, we joked about Rubox being the most 2006 song ever. This song's ahead of its time. Like, uh, it's... I did think... We've obviously spoken about Timberlake a lot in comparisons. This does sound like a song that Justin Timberlake would do. Like, I yeah. think this could very easily be one of his songs. This is... This is so good. Like, I think it's one uh, of his best, most interesting vocal performances. I wrote this can't be a Robbie song, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then AZ like AZ lyrics. I, I I normally use genius, but I was told to stay away from genius because we didn't want things spoiled. And then AZ lyrics actually ruined that this was a cover. So sorry. Yeah. I mean, that was meant to be a bit of a surprise for me. But this is even if this is a cover, I think this is a fantastic performance. I was. It's been really bugging me because it really reminded me of a song. I don't mean like identically the same, but it really kind of feels like um, Mika's "Relax, Take It Easy," like in the vocal performance and stuff. I they have really similar vibes to the songs. I can't remember that one. Too. Yeah, it's been a while. It's a good song. Have Have you listened to the original? Yeah, this is way better. This is. Have you listened to it? I didn't. No, I didn't listen. Oh, to the it. original. You told me I wasn't allowed. Sorry. But, um, so the original is by Lewis Taylor from his, uh, 2002 album Stoned Part One, and... 
Yeah. What a fucking terrible name. There was a stone part two as well. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> so, the thing is, it's an album cut, so it wasn't a single. It was like the second to last track on the album. And he's like a UK like multi-instrumentalist kind of a neo-soul kind of thing. Now, imagine, if you will, like that kind of late night is incredibly background music, all like, you know, acoustic kind of like vibes of white British people trying to sound solely and yeah, not yeah. really coming across and just being kind of bland. The original cover version of this still retains the good songwriting of the Robbie version, of course, because he wrote it, but the instrumentation is way less interesting. It's much more analog and has that sort of, you know the funk guitar that sounds like water dripping? It's like, glum, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah has that which really ruins the sound palette and he also uh, says some of the lyrics in a different he uses a slightly different melody and a low-key different chord progression that makes it sound a bit more sinister but Robbie's version just knocks out of the park into being a smash hit it is without the stuff I knew it is Robbie's best song I've heard wow it's it's so good it, also like little things like the fact that it starts this little synth intro so good. every part of it is so it, it's such a good build like it really yeah. reaches the climax at the end and yeah, yeah. it's great there's nothing other to say than just how brilliant it really is interestingly it's produced by Mark Ronson yeah I mean it, that starts to explain a lot doesn't it when the horns come in towards the end like that's yeah. such a Mark Ronson move and like to Mark Ronson to take these horns and combine it with this like sort of synthy soul thing is just so good you know you, now you've said that that makes complete sense yeah. I, now I know why it feels like familiar it, it's Mark Ronson and it's Mark Ronson doing Mark Ronson things uh, just, there is one quote Robbie said about Mark Ronson he said it's amazing to work with a white boy with a ghetto past like Mark Ronson Jesus Christ like, he can't fucking help himself, can he? <laughs> this, yeah, it's it's man. I, he just needs to get a grasp of some things that you just can't say as a white dude. Like you can't say that somebody's got a ghetto pass. You are not the arbiter of that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this, we're all in agreement. This is a really good track. Yeah. I think it's worth talking about the music video, which I think is kind of underwhelming for the track. I actually like the video. Yeah, I like it as well. Yeah. I, as I said, I think this song's quite modern for its time. I think if this song is, this music video is. I don't mean better lit, as in, like, better, but I mean, like, more lit. I think the music video kind of fits into a sort of later 2010s vibe as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I weirdly think that, yeah, like, this all sort of works. I... That's it. It always comes back to, like, this can't be on the same album as Rootbox. It just can't. <laughs> you think the music video would be better if it was more lit? <laughs> I do think his performance in the video, music video is... A it's kind of lethargic. So. I, yeah, I disagree lethargic. with that. I actually think it works really well the song like, I think his dancing in it is good I think the whole thing vibes really well with how it sounds I think it's shot well I think the set design is cool the set think, design is great the yeah, set is it's a good brilliant. set I think as much set. as it's you know just a like a fairly standard performance video I think it's a fairly well constructed one of those I mean it's the power of a set right like this mm. this music video is shot somewhere else it doesn't look good this set is brilliant I, I think we need to talk about the aesthetics of it though because it's like Robbie's vibe in this thing seems to be like cool Nazi you know what I mean <laughs> It does like, have a little bit of nasty vibe. Yeah, I can of, see that. Yeah, like it's just just a massive sort of black shirt kind of vibe. I'm not saying like you know, guys, we need to talk about Robbie Williams's connection to the all right. Like I'm not. No, no, I'm not I, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, it has. But the, I don't know. To me, it just didn't click with the song as much. But... Yeah, it feels the set feels like it was shot somewhere in Berlin. I like it that's had, it might have been actually it might have been I think it was in a Berlin nightclub I'm not 100 percent sure but I'm like not sure. I, I'm not I'm not saying like Germany is Nazi so that's not what I mean but like it has. That vibe of architecture and stuff. Aye. But the set, yeah. I think, I agree, is the best part of the video. Yeah. Really cool set. It's like an inverse of the Rock DJ one, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. And the Rock DJ set, in my opinion, is like inherently British. Very like, it looks like a British warehouse almost, you know what I mean? Aye. 
but yeah, so this was uh, like the second main single for the album, technically the third single, because there were two promo singles. There was Kiss Me, uh, which was released before this, and then Bongo Bongo, which was released after, but they're just promos, they don't really count. This was second major single, released 13th November 2006, so a couple of weeks after the album, and it gets number eight in the charts. Can you believe that? That was how bad Rubox sent his reputation. This track, this which is an actual brilliant. banger. This song's a number one. It should this be. Is like, num- this should be released getting first. so much radio play. Like, it's, what is it, like three minutes 30? Like, it's like a perfect radio yeah. song. Yeah. It's, it, it could not be written more for radio, which is, you know, maybe Mark Ronson's deal. He's very good at that. He's quite a successful producer. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that Lewis Taylor, the guy who wrote the original cover, actually retired from music in June 2006. So, like, just before the release of this, pretty much. I think there was no real link, but yeah. He then did a bit of working with Niles Barkley for a bit. Okay. But, um, yeah, that's sort of what he was up to. Cool. Uh, Bongo Bong and Je ne t'ai plus. What does Je ne t'ai plus mean? I think it means... I don't love you anymore. I don't love you anymore. Yeah, I know it was I don't, and then something more, but I didn't know what it was. Gonna be real, I actually like this track. Yeah, I like it too. I can't lie. Yeah, I also like this. I... I jokingly wrote that it's the world's worst Gorillaz song. It's a cover, so... Yeah, it's two songs combined into one. Okay. So Bongo Bong was originally its own song, and Jenna Templus was its own as well. So the... It was originally... Both of these songs were originally written by Manu Chao, who's like a French-Spanish artist. And um, Robbie did decide to combine them both into one song, and I think it did work in their favour. I think yeah. it really adds for an interesting arc to how the song goes. Yeah, I also think this song's good. It does fall apart a bit in the lyrics where it's just him talking about being like a monkey like, he, in the jungle yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with that though because I think the the beat and stuff is mm. it's fantastic. Who produced this? Is it going to be someone crazy? another Mark Ronson track. Again, yeah. where's the surprise? Like the, That guy doesn't miss. Do you know what I mean? Like, There's a reason he's at the top of the game. It's worth noting as well that um, because this was the first like proper track as well that people had heard after Rudebox the first time. Yeah. I was looking at the fan forums and stuff. And people were really baffled by this as well. Some people liked it, but this actually had kind of a negative reception too. People were really anxious to what the album would sound like. If, if Rudebox and Bongo Bong were the only things they were given. I still like this track a lot. Yeah, I like this track. I think this track's good. I've just realised I didn't even mention something with Rudebox. He obviously performed that song live before it actually came out as a single because he was touring when he was doing this album. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, said, he says the first time he performed Rudebox live, it felt like the whole stadium collectively took a step back bemused at what they were hearing. I mean, yeah, you would be, yeah. right? I feel bad for him, but that is, like, the only reaction that is acceptable for Rootbox. <laughs> I can just, like, imagine everyone just collectively just taking one back, like, okay. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> just, just imagine him doing the Rootbox, just, like, walking on stage with, like, you know, his, like, tank top and just going, okay, then, back to basics. <laughs> Don't look, kids, he's doing the Rootbox. <laughs> but, yeah, this is good. I really like the sound of it. I like the vibe of it. The female vocals on it as well, Lily Allen. Yeah. I was going to say that. Did I write it? Uh, no, I didn't. Maybe it's another song. Oh, did she come back up later? Is she on two songs? We're saying nothing. Okay, yeah. I didn't pick up it was Lily Allen this time, but yeah, that kind of makes sense that like 2006 you get Lily Allen to do this. It was kind of before she got like a huge level of fame. Like it was sort of her work as kind of a studio musician. Okay. And... So I literally don't think I can hear the word okay now anymore. Like, okay. Uh, understood. Received. <laughs> but um, she said that she actually can't remember much of the recording sessions for Rootbox. Uh, she just sort of said that she kind of just did it. And Robbie, after like she received a great amount of success, he said he was really happy for her. 
and it's, it's just kind of strange to know that Lily Allen's kind of career beginnings were as a vocalist on the Rootbox album yeah that is that is strange I assume her dad was getting her in for like stuff like that right? oh yeah I forgot Keith Allen of course yeah right uh, uh, track 5 then we would go to I think it's worth just sort of talking for a sec about the fact that after it goes like this track about this guy who's this monkey in the jungle who goes from playing the bongo in the jungle to be in the big town and playing the bongo there it then does this really cool cut into like an entirely French thing that like the rhythm there sounds like incredibly I don't know sexy and stylish and cool in that kind of extremely French way yeah and the fact that it concludes with Robbie trying to yeah. speak French towards like the end year 10 French speaking test <laughs> and just wins. saying ending it with je m'appelle Robert <laughs> <laughs> That's, the thing is right that's funny and more than Intensive Care by far this is Robbie Williams you yeah. can feel the Robbie exactly yeah I, I'm like happy with this album like without a doubt now, I he, don't know if I but right now I would say these songs so far at an average <laughs> even at an average have been better than Intensive Care the entirety of the album yeah I genuinely say that yeah but here's the thing right I I keep this in mind I think so far these two covers feel more Robbie, even though they're covers, than the entire yeah. Intensive Care. There, there are 100% covers that are his. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it, it really it's, comes across he's doing what he wants to do. It's weird, because I do feel like one of his weakest points has always been the songwriting. I think... I, I, I feel it, like he, even even in some of his best songs, some of the songwriting is slightly lacklustre. Okay? I, I think you can really see it in some of the more basic album tracks, was like his yeah. first two albums, where even it's like... Even stuff like Rock DJ, like, while it's appropriate... It's not a well-written song lyrically. He does hate the lyrics. Yeah. yeah. And to, like, compare that to, the, like, the words of Love Light, which I think are really well-written. Like... Yeah. I think he's putting his own spin on tracks that are established. I just feel like if he was willing to hand over some writing power, then, you know, there's, like, real potential for him. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, okay. But I love setting myself up. <laughs> you, you guys just look at each other in a weird way, and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, so we've done Bongo Bong, and now... She's Madonna. Oh my god, this is good. This is... Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, right, so the thing with me is I hate the Pet Shop Boys. What? I, just, I know, I don't like them at all. Okay, this is well, not going to Yeah, that. West End Girls is one of my least favourite songs ever. It's... I'm not huge on them. I quite like West End Girls. I don't know a lot of their other stuff. I don't particularly like this. Yeah, that being said, I don't think this song is bad. Like, yeah. I think for what for the type of sound it is, it's pretty good. It's just it's, it's not very the thing that I was listening to. Very nineties. I can't sound. even lie, right? I'm a big Pet Shop Boys guy. I think this is pretty much a perfect pop song. I'm not even lying. I think this is one of that, if not the that's best. That's totally fair. Ever. I don't have a problem with this, and I'm not going to tell you it's bad. I just don't like it. I prefer this one to the other Pet Shop Boys one we have coming up. I, will I say prefer that. the other Pet Shop Boys one. I think okay, so this track for me, the big thing that gets me is that I, I I'm a fan of every single melody on this. I think the verse, pre-chorus, and chorus melodies are all ridiculously good. Yeah. I think the part where he says like "I'm sorry, love, Madonna's calling me," and then that last note like trails out is just I don't know. It's, it's, there's something about this that makes me think of like people riding on horseback for some reason. It's got this real sense of propulsion to it, and the beat is like just the Pet Shop Boys doing what they do best. So they're sort of kind of minimal, very '80s kind of electronic stylings. And weirdly enough, the Pet Shop Boys don't do backing vocals on this. I, you get the feeling that they are there, but they're just not. It's just all Robbie. And they said that it was a real collaboration between the two. It oh. was like they co-wrote the song together, and I feel like you can really like like because the Pet Shop Boys would never write this stuff about you know like Gwyneth's here, she's brought a fella and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But um, Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys said he did write the opening line, which I think is really good. Which is, I don't miss you, just who you used to be, which I think is like you know that's a good line. But um, I actually, like I said I don't know a lot of what. Petra Boy stuff. I thought this might have been a cover. 
No. I think this is well written. Yeah, it's worth talking about what is based on. So it's uh, a conversation Robbie had with one of his with a girlfriend he had at the time called Ta- Tanya Tanya Strucker, who used to date Guy Ritchie, and Guy Ritchie told this person that he was leaving her for Madonna, and it's basically the reason he gave, like, well, she's Madonna. <laughs> like, that's such an interesting thing to write a song yeah, about. Like. Yeah, no, th- yeah, I don't like this song, but I would never call it bad. I, I don't, there are, uh, he has given, like, differing accounts of why he wrote the song as well. Like, that, I think it might be a combination of all of them, but he also said that one time he was, like, in a, like, a room with a girl, like, you know, they just had sex, and he was, like, watching TV and Madonna was on there. And he did the whole like old spice thing of looking to the girl and looking at Madonna and looking back and be like, yeah, yeah, nice, but you know, she's Madonna. She's Madonna. And I think that writing a song essentially about telling someone else, I'm sorry, this person's so fit, I have to leave, I would leave anyone for this person, yeah. is a really interesting thing. And he said that he feels it's about like the way that in, people are always striving for something better and extending that to like love and attraction stuff. I, I think it's... To me, it's a song that is really well produced. I love all the melodies. The vocal performance is great. Yeah. And its concept is interesting. I think the production's good as well. You know, the more I think about it, the more I like it. I just, I think I got a bit bored by it. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel also that if this was the lead single, I think the album would have done better. Oh, I feel like, yeah, this is... It, I feel like it, it literally... It got a great reception too. Yeah, this like, is the final single releases in March 2007. And it only gets number 16 in the charts. Which is insane. <sighs> like, if he released this on the back of any other album, it would have... He wouldn't have got 16. I, I think this is a number one. I think this is another Robbie number one. I, I would say. Like, just really, like, I keep asking, like, who allowed Robox to be released as the like, mm. opening track? Like, who he, was it? He did also play the song for Madonna, and she had a positive response to it. She liked it. Yeah, I could, I could see her liking that. I also think that, um, like, okay, so this album, I think that, I think that She's Madonna is objectively the worst choice for the last single. I think that he could have drummed up some hype because, you know, having the Pet Shop Boys on a track, that'd get the Pet Shop Boys audience in. I know they weren't exactly a huge cultural force in the mid-2000s, but at the very least, people who were familiar with their output would be like, well, I mean, say, for example, in a literal thing like this, Justin Timberlake and Madonna, like, Madonna wasn't exactly a huge... I mean, even though, you know, she's Madonna, Guy Ritchie was married to her and stuff, it would bring in an audience that maybe wouldn't listen to Robbie Williams and stuff, but they'd listen yeah. to the Pet Shop Boys when they were younger. They still married Guy Ritchie and Madonna. Oh, no, no, they had a pretty I, bad divorce. Yeah, I, I'm really not, like, into star stuff. Yeah, I have no idea. I did. I had no idea they were married. It's kind of like blown me away, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. um, they had a bad divorce, and apparently since then she's sort of having sex with like twenty one year old guys and stuff. Cool. Yeah. Go for it, Madonna. High five. <laughs> the Tom Holland story of like being forced to be on a dance floor next to her and someone being like, "He's a really good dancer," and then like Tom Holland having to like try and dance on a club to impress Madonna is. <laughs> a horrible nightmare. Like, like imagine someone walking up to Madonna and be like, "My friend is good at dancing," and then you have to dance for her. Have you seen him on the lip sync thing though? Where he does the yeah. Camera? I hate that lip sync thing so fucking much. I think they're a terrible show, but I think that justifies their existence. Yeah, I was, I am, I am perfectly okay as well. And this kind of plays into something like with big stars just being willing to be like, "I'm going to do incredibly like, like effeminate things." Like, I'm fine with that. Like. That that's a good thing. Like, I'm happy. Like Tom, I mean, Tom Holland's not exactly there. He's never trying to be like masculine cool. That's not his gig. Like, but there's a big difference between not being masculine cool and dressing up like that on international television and dancing around. Are you guys aware of the BBC Instagram story that Tom Holland once did? No. no. He. It just speaks to how clueless he is, and it's incredibly funny. His one of his friends who is black 
I think, got like an acting gig on a BBC show or something. And Tom Holland did an Instagram story with him, with this black friend, and he put the caption, Gang that BBC thing. Tom. Tom. I really like Tom, I won't lie. He can be annoying, and I hate the like internet fandom around him, but I, I like him. I know you despise him. Yeah. Do you actually? <laughs> I quite like him. I think just before we move on to the next one, you know who Madonna has dated in the past, like besides Guy Ritchie? She's dated Vanilla Ice and Michael Jira from Swans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely um, interesting person uh, shall we move on yes so well, we have the music video oh, of course god it's very forgettable I find yeah, yeah. I don't really interestingly like it. it's directed by Johan Brankt who is like the main director of Chernobyl TV oh show. wow yeah. that is so random it kind of makes sense actually with the sort of vignette style it's sort of yeah. just like little clips of stuff but like, I honestly think this is actually as we were saying before there's some stuff in the album that I find actually kind of offensive I think the portrayal of drag queens is like kind of freaks in this video they're like sort of they're framed in a sort of very monstrous way like it's Robbie Williams performing to a crowd of drag queens who essentially don't appreciate him and it's it's sort of emphasising stuff like oh look that man's dressed like a lady but he's using a, using a urinal like yeah, it just that, feels very that was very uncomfortable yeah. that scene I mean, I think the little weird interviewee cut bits are oh God, yeah. somewhat interesting. He says interesting things that I hadn't heard from him. I don't get to watch interviews, remember? So this is the only Robbie Williams interview I've ever seen, really. So, like, hearing him be like, yeah, just cut She's the One and Go Home Early was kind of interesting to hear him say something like that. It's, it, it, to be fair, like, the acting he does the interview in here is exactly how he does interviews. But it, it strikes me as a very strange decision. It feels almost oh. like a cry for help. You yeah, because this yeah. was towards like this was way this was you know this single was released in, like March two thousand seven. I March think. March two thousand seven. Yeah. So like, this was off. way after like you know the reception. Of yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a good decision. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm just saying you, it like, was interesting to me as someone who has to come on a podcast and talk about Robbie Robbie Williams. Also, Robbie um, Williams. It's so, <laughs> some people are like <laughs> up the rod. Roddy. <laughs> <laughs> Make way for Roddy. Roddy! <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, another thing that people. I've got somebody pain in the back of my head all day. Uh, so, another thing that people said <laughs> Did was. Did you like... listen to Rootbox today? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. I'm really annoyed, right? I'm on five today, but it's all got to be cut. This weird shit I'm saying it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, another thing that people took offense with about this video was that Robbie seems to be implying that, like, he's he thinks that trans people have, like, split personalities. Like, he's kind of confused about what that is. Oh, okay. I didn't realize he was implying that, but yeah. that's. A bit it sort of feels kind of like that, but in addition to the whole, like, fact that it's just kind of an unpleasant experience that feels exploitative yeah, trans, don't like the, of the trans people and drag queens that it shows... It also doesn't fit the song at all. I feel like this song is no. such a forward-moving, constantly like rustling. There's always something going on, yeah. and it feels it's almost entirely in slow motion, which I think just isn't right for it. Yeah, I do not like it. Yeah. And just for context, it starts off with Robbie like dressed in drag, doing interviews, and these interview clips are intercut with like him performing, uh, taking off drag makeup, then performing at a drag queen stage, and uh, also um, the interviews. He talks about the nature of stardom in a very like you know incredibly candid way, sort of talking about like going easy on himself and stuff uh, it's just yeah. kind of it doesn't work for the song that's no, my main takeaway no. but um oh my god next up we oh oh my god okay okay now okay sorry I forgot this amazing quote from when he talked about working with the Pet Shop Boys he said my life seems to be like a never ending edition of Jim will fix it 
Oh, Robbie. I am truly blessed. The odds of Robbie Williams making a ninth album ten years ago, this isn't his ninth. At various points he said this is his eighth album, his ninth album, it's his seventh. It is just his seventh album. <laughs> I guess if you count greatest hits... And Ego Nebworth, has landed, Nebworth, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, he seems yeah. to have like a weird... Either way, he's shifted his stance yeah, like yeah. multiple times within his thing. But he said it was greatly inspired by Tour de France by Kraftwerk, and he also clarifies it's not tongue-in-cheek. He really does fancy Madonna that much. Which I think is like a, a nice little detail. He's just It's not even ironic. He's just saying, like, in addition to commenting on like the nature of a or whatever, I really, really do want to shag Madonna. The f- We've all been there. The fact that like Robbie's always been so candid about who he wants to shag in the press, despite the fact that the people he's talking about can obviously see, is like one of the most <laughs> baffling things about yeah. him I've always found. Yeah. I'm really happy you gave Jim will fix it a shout out. Yeah. Like, my life has been like a never-ending edition of Jim will fix it. Is... I, I think I've told this story. When I was in about year eight, so like 12 or so it's before the scandals Aye. okay you oh i remember yeah this. yeah i'm just gonna tell it anyway um like we had a task to do one day in school where we were looking at charitable sort of, like philanthropist people and like in, in defense of jimmy savile he had done a lot of charity work and this was before any of the scandal had come out like at all uh and i was given the task of making a powerpoint and presenting about what a nice person Jimmy Savile is. So somewhere out there in the existence of the internet, like it's on like an old school drive I don't have anymore, is a PowerPoint of me talking about how great a person Jimmy Savile is that I had to present. <laughs> you know, he invented DJing as well, like with two, two turntables. He was the first guy to ever do that, which is hilarious. <laughs> that isn't true. He did that in the 50s. That isn't true. He actually did. There's no recorded evidence of someone doing it before he did. It's just like Abraham Lincoln did the first recorded choke slam move in wrestling. It was also true, he was big into wrestling when he was younger, and he's the first person ever recorded to do a choke slam. You're saying things that aren't true. Let's I'm not on. kidding! Okay, but these are true. These are literally all true. I wouldn't make them up. Okay. So, track six, keep on. Oh my god. Oh my god, this is insane. Uh, forget about your boyfriend and meet me at the hotel room. I know that isn't this song, but that hotel. That's <laughs> quoting. Uh, yeah, I know what he's okay. quoting. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. This I don't know the name of the song, but I know it's what rapper's it is. De- so, okay. Is it Rapper's Delight? Yeah. yeah, thank you, yeah. He opens it with, I think this is the best example he's ever used of quoting a classic hip-hop song. So Rapper's Delight is commonly acknowledged as the first hip-hop song. It's not. The first one was Here Comes a Judge from the 1960s uh, by Pigmeat Marcus. Interesting fact, the first ever hip-hop song was recorded by a guy who was born in the 1800s. Cool. cool. I'm up for it. But basically, Rapper's Delight... He's like 65 when he recorded He was a really old man. He was like doing a comedy skit. Like He was doing a song based on this comedy skit character he had that was popular on the radio. But it's literally a hip-hop song. You hear it, it's a hip-hop song made in the 60s. It's insane. It's really good as well. Yeah. But um, so, Rapper's Delight is like, was the first massively popular hip-hop track. It introduced the term rapping to so many people. And also includes the line, Hotel, Motel, Holiday Inn. If your girl is acting up, then you take her friend. Yeah. But the way... Which, my ad, Rapper's Delight... Does fuck. Apart from the bit. chicken verse. I don't know which bit that is. It's a seven minute long song. There's a verse about like when you're like at your friend's house and their parents have made really bad chicken and peas and you have to pretend that you enjoy it and they ask like, do you want no more? And you know, you say, no, I'm full. And then they give you more. It's okay, a terrible verse. Cool. <laughs> okay. There is a lot of good stuff in it though. One last thing before we get on, I'm probably going to cut, but there's an amazing part about like Rapper's Delight where one of the verses is just entirely stolen from another rapper who wrote it. A, a guy named Casanova Fly, right? And the cool rapper name. who does it is, I can't remember what his name is. It's Big Bank Hank, right? I think it's called Big, Big Bank, Bank Hank. Hank, also a cool name. Very good. <laughs> That's so good. But he, like, he stole Casanova Fly's entire verse, but kept in, they call me C to the A to the S to the A. He he kept in a bit where he says he's called Casanova Fly. 
That's incredible. The story of Rapper's Light is amazing. In addition to the fact that, like, instead of just sampling um, the, like, uh, the... What are they called? Um, freak Out? The, instead of sampling the Chic track yeah. samples, they actually had to have musicians just playing that on a loop for seven minutes because the technology didn't exist yet. Which is really that cool. That is fucking cool, yeah. But, okay. Um, so... He opens it with quoting Hotel Motel Holiday Inn in this weird Bowie croon with, like, this spacey ambient audio. Yeah. It's like he's completely abstracted it from its original context and becomes like, Hotel, Motel, Holiday Inn. Yeah. They, I honestly really like that. Same. Um, but then he says the words ding-a-ling-ling. Okay, so yeah. we need to actually... I think we just... We don't need to go line by line, but I think that what he says in these verses has to be heard to be yeah. believed. Also, is it Lily Allen singing? Yes. Yeah, yeah Lily Allen so. also makes an appearance on this track. I've got to be honest, right? I actually like this track. Yeah, I... So the thing with a lot of like these tracks coming out where Robbie does rapping on them is that it always just it's like I can't escape the notion it's just it's really corny Robbie doing rapping it always is but I think musically this is a good track I think it's a much better style of rap for him to be doing than Rude Boxes yeah as well. it sounds like the Sonic so this is another Mark Ronson yes. joint this oh, okay. so Mark Ronson is actually quite a bit on this album. And to me, the way that he sort of... How he conned Mark Ronson in doing this? It's like John was saying, actually, like when you listen back, you expected this to be like an insane black mark on Mark Ronson's discography, but yeah. Mark Ronson can pretty much always be relied upon. Like, you yeah. listen to this, and it's like, okay, yeah, he's did, doing good stuff. Did he not play Rubox to Mark Ronson and Mark go, Robbie, we need to rewrite this now? <laughs> like, did I, that... If he had, his career probably would have, like, went a lot better. Yeah, like, genuinely, like, I just wish Mark Ronson had heard him do that and gone, we have to stop. <laughs> But here, the sound palette is so good. There's always something mm-hmm. interesting happening. The trajectory of the song is insane. It's like a little mini suite, like something you hear in the 60s. And it's, I think it sounds to me like a really good gorilla song, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I think it has yeah, gorilla yeah, vibe yeah. as well. I think, as I said, some of the earlier songs have some sort of gorilla vibes in them as well. Yeah, it, it feels kind of of its time, but like... Well, the weird thing about it being of its time is that he's one of the few people I've ever heard lean hardcore into like 80s-style party rap. Like, you know, like, back when it was Run DMC, and just, like, you know, people, when rap music was initially kind of stuff that you'd play on parties to dance to, I suppose, yeah. like, you know, before, like, gangster rap came in and sort of changed the trajectory of it. But Robbie, in a way that I haven't really heard any modern rapper do, just really tries to recreate that Run DMC vibe, which is... It's interesting that someone's doing it, but the way he approaches it, like, I'm not gonna lie, right? I think there's actually a lot of entertainment value from this verse, because it's incredibly insane. Yeah. Like, what he says is... Vein popping, heart clogging, name dropping, life stopping, got no strings, but I think with my ding a ling a ling can't speak ting tongs tong ting. <laughs> there are multiple times where he says, I mean, later on he says, I got no, the recurring line in the song is got no strings, but I think with my ding a ling a ling, which is then followed by, honestly, the incredibly racist sounding Wing Chang with the ching ching tong tings tong ting. Yeah, that. Why that did he do a that? The problem I have with it is it, it does feel slightly inappropriate. I just don't get why he would do that. Like, what decision could motivate a person to end a verse with, like, just what? that? Why are we trying to even decide for motivations at this point? Like, stop. It's not. It's impossible. I think it's worth knowing, with the exception of Rubox, so far, the rest of this album has been good. Like, yeah. 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 Just, just before we go on, it's worth knowing that, until this point, with the exception of the Rubox, and it has to be given... The title, yeah. like it is not, it's not called Rude Box. It's the Rude Box. You must refer to it as such. This album's been good. It's got some really good tracks. And I think, I think collectively, every track we've said we like since yeah. Rude Box. I, I, I look. I, I think this track, even though I could see why somebody wouldn't like it, 
has such an insane and especially uniquely Robbie energy to it yeah. that it kind of it, it really carries itself and I think Lily Allen's weird little vocal thing works I think Lily so Allen's good well. on this yeah. Yeah. Lily Allen's really good on this she's also as I said like her earlier vocals I don't think really sound much like her I didn't notice mm. it at least this you can imme- like, I immediately heard and was like that's Lily Allen as I immediately I knew it, she, she sounds like her in it, it it's like just this, a credit to her yeah it's like a really nice little thing she says which Again, I love how little any of this song coheres, where she says, I love my mom and I love my dad. They never had any love I had. So much love, it's driving me mad, which pretty much doesn't make sense to anything else in the song. Yeah. But it seems to me like a combination of him trying to be, like, run DMC with, like, a bit of, like, mid-2000s sort of British kind of gorilla Mark Ronson pop, and then also, like, this weird David Bowie spacey part. Yeah, I'm, which I'm good with it. You know what? It works. Even if you don't think it's good, it's good ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you right. know what I mean, like... And then, like you said, there is part where he shouts at the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, which is fair enough. Go for it, Robbie. He says, Wu-Tang with a bling-bling, sing a song, sing, sing. Yeah. Which is... I, why does he keep saying he's got no strings, but he thinks with his ding-a-ling? <laughs> I, have, I don't really have much to say about the song, other than he says the word ding-a-ling a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is just inherently funny. But I, 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 I just think this is a surprisingly good song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Next up... Again, another track that you must refer to with the, the good doctor. I'm not even gonna lie. I kind of like this. Yeah, no. I, again, <laughs> no, no, no. I draw the line here. No, it, this it's is another Robbie. example of Robbie just being weird doing this style of music. But I think musically, it has enough going for it that it it works. Yeah. <laughs> I like the boot shout out. Oh yeah, yes. we will get. <laughs> oh man, that part is disastrous. I can't even deny that. But to me, this song is another example in this album where it feels like. Despite it being strange and weird, this feels like Robbie authentically being Robbie and doing what he wants. Yeah, to do. I can this... agree with that. But... <laughs> it's fucking insane. It's Ronson again. This is one. it Ronson again? Yeah. How has he done this? Why? Imagine going from Guy Chambers to whoever that fucking bum we had last week. <laughs> Stephen like, Tuffy. He can fuck off. <laughs> bum, right? <laughs> Talk about a fraud. <laughs> to get Mark Ronson in, alright? Like, how has he done that? <laughs> This friggin' schmuck. <laughs> he, he is a schmuck. I don't care. He is. I. It's like this song compared to the previous one, right? Keep on is fun. Means absolutely nothing. This though is specifically about Robbie Williams talking about the means he uses it's, to abuse. It's Robbie drugs. on that lean. <laughs> I feel like. I feel like if he released this song in 2014, he definitely would have spoke about the burp. Robbie's crossfaded off Calpol and Parazine. Yeah. But, okay, so he says, there's a part where he says, like, I went to the doctor to get a prescription, I told him a little fact, oh, no, he says, I told him little fact, because he's got to stick to the Jamaican thing, but lots of fiction. Is this the one where he says Rasquart? No, that's later on. <laughs> <laughs> that is later on! <laughs> oh, boy, okay, so, but he's explicitly talking about the fact that he lies to his doctor to get prescription drugs. Yeah. Which is really funny for and anyone then, to ever say that. Yeah, and then he actively admits, I know you'll be cross at me, but... I got them pills. <laughs> I'm like, ro- tell the truth, Doc, I might have a problem. Robert Williams, take one Adderall with water in the morning. I see if I'm going to take one tablet. I'm Keith Moon. <laughs> yeah, calling himself Keith Moon is very funny. Keith Moon died of an overdose. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, like, it's it's an insane track. Like, I, I think also the chorus of, he said, this one was to take you up, this one was to take you down, works really, it's yeah. very mid-2000s, sort of that Lily Allen kind of wonky, almost reggae kind of thing. But it works really well in his favour, I think. Oh, and also, I look rather round. <laughs> it's like, I've never heard of somebody ever sing about how fat they are. But, yeah. like, to just say, I look rather round is a great thing for anybody to say. Okay. 
Um, what else we got? We also have the You're Right Star No Star Chorus in this one. I really oh, like that. Oh, I actually, yeah, no, I do like that bit. That one, it's it, it's another thing that also feels kind of meaningless, but just thrown out there because it just feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and You're Right Star. No star. star. Yeah, big fan of it. Uh, and also, I actually do like that bit. There's a part where he says, like, um, if he takes too many pills, then they'll ruin his complexion and he gets a haunted look. He does, like, these little spoken word bits in the yeah. track. And, yeah, he does get a haunted look. You can tell on all the music videos around this time. Like, yeah. he does legitimately look haunted. Um, now, then, there's the, the the final line that you were on about at the start, where he... Oh, God, he really tries to sound black. He really does. Yeah, most of that way I've heard, yeah. Where he talks about, like, all the things he's getting, codeine, morphine, blah, blah, blah. But not St. John's Wort, because I can get that at Boots. I don't think I would even feel comfortable saying on record the way that he says it. Yeah, I agree with that. Go, just go and listen to the end of The Good Doctor. It's uncomfortable. It sounds like, but it sounds like what it is, which is a white guy in the mid-2000s thinking it's like funny to try and sound like a black guy from South London. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. A white guy from Stoke-on-Trent yes. trying to sound like a black guy from South London. It's, I think it's worth pointing out here. We'll get into it more in the post-album timeline, but uh, in 2006, uh, 2006, he does go back to rehab for prescription drug mm. addiction. That makes some sense, it, yeah. I, look, I know that, like, obviously, like that's a big personal struggle of his, but it is so funny that he recorded an entire song about the fact he's abusing prescription dog, drugs and then just released it publicly. Prescription dogs. Prescription dogs. <laughs> and you don't need a Jack Wilson. What's it? Jack Russell. Jack Wilson. What am I even saying? Right. Well, she's uh, Shiro Tracy Beaker, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time for the actor? <laughs> it's time for the actor. Again, another song you have to refer to with the, so it's the, the actor. This is again. I actually like this. Yeah, the the one yeah. thing I don't like is the spoken word actress bits. I think it's just. Oh, bit I kind of like her. I think the ad libs in this song are awful. Like, uh, really, really bad. To me, they're so embarrassing that it wraps around to being incredibly No, enjoyable. no, I'm not having that shit. Nah, they're come on. They're actively like, bad. Okay, so to describe the song, because I think this is another one that needs an outline, this is a song he wrote about the fact that he thought, like, while he was living in LA, he bumped into a lot of, like, careerist actors and sort of saw... He lost... He said he lost respect for acting as, yeah, like, a profession. it was partly written on Oscars night, apparently. Yeah, so he'd see a lot of people who he realised were kind of vain and only in it, like, for themselves. And this is a sort of... Classic song. It's been done a lot about the fact that it's portraying this character of an actor who's like kind of hollow and doesn't yeah. really have much of their core. And yeah, it's not acting; it's reacting. That's so, a very like you know yeah easy thing to sly. And it has the actress Marsha Thompson doing these sort of. I originally thought it was like an you know uh, Microsoft Sam like a spoken speech text <laughs> speech thing, but no, it I think a, that indicates when I say they're bad that they are bad. I know, I, okay, she's like robotically reading out these things between his lines. So, like, I, I, there's one combination here that just made me fall in love with it, which is like, I was the class nerd. I'm totally Strasbourg, which is disgusting, but <laughs> yeah. I love it. I actually, I really like this track. I think the chorus on this is amazing. I think, like, atmospherically, it sounds really dark and sinister, and just mel melodically, it's incredibly catchy as well. It's a thing we haven't really heard Robbie do before. Like, we, he said, like, he meant this to be, it was inspired by Kraftwerk. He sort of wanted it to sound like a sort of German electronic kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it has this, this, like, it, it makes him sound like a malevolent force, which yeah. <laughs> no Robbie Williams track before has done. I mean, Rudebox is a malevolent entity of a song. But, like, in this one, he's actively kind of menacing. So... Are we going to talk about the bridge now? We need to talk about this Which? bridge. <laughs> all, I have, need... all I have to say, and this is the only thing that I will get, is... Da-da-da-da-da! <laughs> 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 
well with uh, G. Jones. G. Jones. <laughs> I feel like we should introduce Robbie to G. Jones. I feel unironically G. Jones is a like ten times a better rapper than Robbie Williams. <laughs> Latin America, come on, come on, but tell me how the fuck you're gonna get over a wall with a picture of a plane. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Got a spat, invented EDT. Now we're moving through the states and we're styling free. <laughs> I love again. I'm on fire today, but none of this would make a podcast. No one knows what the fuck we're oh, on such about. A shame. One, one last little G. Johnson thing that I always love from that song is the absolute clumsy delivery of We had a mixed president, what had taken all of our guns? <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so. <clears throat> The bridge on the actor is him listing a bunch of actors' names in the most entertaining possible way anyone could. The way he says Mansfield is so funny. <laughs> it's unbelievably funny. And then he follows that up with the D-D-D-Dame. He says D-D-Dame, 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 Judy Dench. Like, there's a stutter. Yeah, it's so funny. So it's Monroe Barrymore, D-D-D-Dame, D-D-Dame, D-D-Dame, Judy Dench. Madonna Richie. I think it's quite interesting that it repeats Richie, Richie, Richie. Almost like a comment on the fact that he's written She's Madonna. Street, Close, Hepburn... I find it really funny that Burt Reynolds is his entire name. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah like... It's like Streep, Hepburn, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Niven, Danson, Bundy, Bardo, but then my god. Yeah. <laughs> Joaquin, 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 Swank. <laughs> it's the swank that sells it. And he yells it! Yeah, it's Swank! It is so good. Uh, quick question: uh, Did Robbie like Joker? Anyone know? Did Robbie like Joker? Yeah, uh, he said that it inspired him to like you know buy a gun. <laughs> I just find it, it's it's impeccable that like I think it almost feels like perfectly made for us. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, he couldn't have picked yeah. a, like a funnier actor name to repeat. Like in two thousand and six, he was ahead of the curve. Yeah. Just saying, Joaquin. That using the word Joaquin as an instrument. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you think Joaquin Phoenix has ever listened to this album? Oh, I'm just. I like, feel like. Uh, oh, the minute this? the oh, what's his name? This joke's gone because I've got his name. Uh, I think the minute Herzog pulled him out of the car, he played in this, and that changed his mind about wanting to die. That's actually what he did. The guy likes me this much. <laughs> I can't do a whacking boy. Uh, I saw a tweet the other day that was like, "Remember why Whacking gave a long speech about why veganism works at the Oscars, and then someone mooed, and we all collectively agreed it was Brad Pitt." <laughs> <laughs> No one even died. We're all like, that one was Brad. <laughs> Which is objectively funny. He's just when his Oscar and Brad Pitt goes, Mood. <laughs> yeah, this does feel like it was written for us. And it has a spoken word outro that's insanely bad. It's insane. I can't even lie. What happened? Like, it... So he quote, in the most like 2006 move ever, when he said, in the future, everybody will be anonymous for 15 minutes, I thought, oh, he's playing a riff in the Andy Warhol, everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes. That's a, you know, it's kind of dumb, but you can see it as kind of potential for being clever, right? Yeah. No, he's quoting a Banksy piece. Oh, God. <laughs> Which, beautiful. I said Banksy was around in 2006. I didn't really have been around that. Oh, yeah, Banksy was around for a while. He was like, blur, he did a Blur album cover in like the early 2000s. Oh, well, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Cool. Did Think Tank. But um, he ends it with saying the insane, like, we are the nature of the beast. Like, I, his delivery on that is unusual. It feels like the sort of thing that, like, 
a character would be taken over by something meddling in a Doctor Who episode and they would say. He got too close to the rude box. Yeah. <laughs> it went up it his was... jacks and it split his cacks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, but I think we're in agreement. This is pretty good, interesting. We song. Yeah. I mean, I know you hate the Adlers, but I'm not. Yeah, they're bad. But Never touch that switch. This, I actually like. I don't. I think this one's really annoying. Uh, I I specifically wrote, what is this intro question mark? I like the beat. It's like, it's like pure electronic grinding and beeping. My, I think it works. T- to bring the Doctor Who reference back through this episode, when he says there's a schism in the time, schism, <laughs> whatever he says, that's very wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. I thought, I was like, there's a certain culture there around that. Genuinely, like, wibbly-wobbly is the perfect description for the lyrics here. Yeah. The way he's... I actually, weirdly enough, this... I always, whenever I... I did, like, three listens through of this album, and every single time, this was, like, really enjoyable for me. Okay. But I, I found his delivery, it's, like, kind of, yeah, sort of restrained like this. And it's, like, like in the vessel there's a switch in the middle. You really shouldn't fiddle, because it's toxic. Which I think is about a penis, from what I can <laughs> tell. But, like, the way he's saying everything is sleep... It works for me, but I think when he says stuff like, um... Getting back within the blink of a bubble. Time machine never gives us any trouble is just horrible lyricism. But it's yeah. worth knowing. Who wrote it? Is this the candy flip one? Oh no no, this no. well this is the only track in the album that well it's not a cover, but Robbie just didn't write any of it. Okay, who wrote it? It was actually written by um uh Soul Mechanic, the two Pharrell oh, Williams is from Stone Trent. Fuck off, man. The lyrics on this are like dire. I can't even lie. It's yeah. all like like space-time stuff, but the production on this is... kind of feels Yeezus-y a bit to me, I can't even lie. I don't know if I'm doing Yeezus a massive disservice. Yeah, I feel like no matter... I feel like no matter what, you've done Yeezus a disservice. Yeah, though. I think this is really dated production-wise. I, I, it's a sound you dated production, just you wait, my friend. Um, but yeah, I, I can get somebody not liking this, but yeah, it stands out for me. But um, not really much to say about this at all. Uh, but next up we've got Louise. This is bad. Really? Yes. Um, it sounds like a MIDI instrumental. Yes, this. I wrote the same thing. It's yeah. it's garbage MIDI. Also, this is the first one of the first times I really noticed the vocal processing is mm-hmm. bad, really bad. Like di- when you're talking about dated production. This is dated. This isn't dated production. This is bad production. Well, it's, it's worth noting this is a cover of the Human League song Louise, which yeah, we spoke about last week. Yeah, was like heavy Human inspiration League. for intensive care. Alright, this is uh, Matthew gets like murdered for opinion day, but I actually like this track and think it's better than the original. I haven't heard the original, so I can't say. But no. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think Robbie's just got more emotive delivery on this, but I think the vocal processing this was intentional because it just sounds so computerized. I think it's almost like it gives it this almost like numb, withdrawn kind of thing. Okay. But um, no, I mean the rest of it still like midi garbage. I actually, I can't even lie. I really like this track. Honestly, like this sound. This sounds like that time you sent me some MIDI work you did, and I was like, oh, that's really cool that you've managed to make that, but, like, a professional should not be making this. When did I do that? Oh, God, no, that was... Was that... Were we trying to make the Robbie Hole theme? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that... Yeah. That was just me, like... That was on, like, a Google app. Yeah, I know. And I I genuinely think this is around the same quality. I think kind of works, though. I like the minimal vibe. I, I, again, I get why, like... Like... Especially if you like the Human League, hearing Robbie do a cover of it is probably like. I have a problem with. I, I really have a problem with people covering artists that I like. I actually really like it. Like I especially like it if someone does a cover of an artist I like. It's one of my favorite things because I like hearing something a different way. And there's nothing wrong 
with his performance, I think the vocals do sound weird, but I think that's the, the, the production. I don't think it's a bad choice for him to do. I just think the instrumentation is garbage. Yeah. That's it. And it's not him. That's whoever produced it, because he's not, you know... I'm going to check who did produce this one. It was produced by... Wait. <laughs> you dare um... say Mark Ronson. <laughs> I'm just going to find out. It was produced by... William Orbit. Yeah. I uh, that is that not your dad like who like found the Google app open or something? Do you know what I mean? Like I'm gonna, he he's producer Chris Brown. Oh my no way! Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, this guy produced loads of money for Harry Enfield. Yeah. Loads of money I mean He did that. Well is my point not proven, should we just move on? Like there he you did, go. He did coffee and TV with Blur. Are you joking? No, he did Frozen and Ray of Light by Madonna. He did Alien and Britney Spears. Coffee he... and TV is a really well-mixed song as well, I think. Is this like a remix, or did he like... No, he... That is crazy. That well, is insane. He did yeah, a bad he job here. He produced the actual thing. But, um... A yeah, really so. well-mixed song, might I add. But, uh, I've got to admit, I do like this track, but... Uh, I think the next one is extremely interesting to talk about. We're the Pet, Pet Shop, Shop Boys. Boys. Which is another cover... So this song was originally by My Robot Friend. It was then covered by the Pet Shop Boys. That's like a B-side, like, yes. not really like a main thing. Like. And now Robbie Williams is covering it alongside the Pet Shop Boys. I think it's absolutely incredible to have the Pet Shop Boys featured on your song just to say in the chorus, with the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Um, this is interesting, because like, the original version of it is terrible. I don't know if you listened to it. I didn't listen it's to it, no. really just nothing. The Pet Shop Boys version is pretty good. It's actually extremely similar to this version. Yeah. Except the spoken word bit of, like, you know, Pet Shop Boys song titles is done like a strong Yorkshire accent by the other Pet Shop Boy, and so it sounds really weird. It's like a Yorkshire accent through a vocoder. Just not pleasant. But um, here it's like... So the whole track is about, like, nostalgia and being like, wow, it's almost like we're the Pet Shop Boys if you think about our memories and stuff. And... I think Robbie actually said the reason he wanted to cover this track was because he, he really loved how surreal it was to cover a song that was a cover by the Pet Shop Boys and then cover it with them. Like, he deliberately yeah. just because of the audaciousness that of is, doing that. that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Why is he doing so many covers? I The thing is, right, it, it strikes to me as the covers on this album are stuff that it, it does feel more Robbie than his solo stuff mm-hmm. in the previous one. Yeah, I agree. But why is he doing covers? Maybe just because it was a much shorter... Album yeah, cycle. Yeah. It was only a year after intensive care. And to be fair, the focus on this one was that he wanted to do stuff that he felt like he'd enjoy. I think one of the most obvious ways to do that is just covering songs you already yeah. enjoy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but this this song I think is pretty good. I think weirdly enough, the main synth melody like that recurs throughout it is really similar to Blinding Lights by the weekend. Like I think there's actually a lot of overlap there. We'd have to go and listen again, but But um You know about that dun, dun, It's like the dun dun dun, dun. Sort of like, but um, I don't want anything. No, again, I just don't like the Pet Shop Boys, and this one to me sounds way more Pet Shop Boys either. But I don't think you can even notice that they're on it. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck's sake! Um, Um, I'm gonna let you say this one because I don't know what the fuck this word is. Oh, Burslem normals. Yeah, what the what the fuck does Burslem mean? Well, the backstory for this is. And the thing is, what is annoying is that, okay, this is another track that I actually do like a lot again, where it's something that the context behind it makes the song a lot better, and since you have zero access to that, like, the song yeah. probably seems like absolute nonsense. Yeah, it really does. Uh, there's some really cool uh, stereo audio on the intro. Stereo, it comes on both sides, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
um, where like it's sort of like bum, 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 like pings between your ears, which I noticed is. No. Did you have headphones? Yes. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? It's sort uh, of, I don't remember this. Song. Uh, this is the okay. one on the album. I don't it, have much it's really interesting. It's sort of like disassociating because it's like really quick and it's like pinging between your ears. It's like a little bit. That you sounds know. cool. Yeah, yeah, like I, I, shit like that is cool. Um, the last verse before we get into it is is utter wank. I don't have any other word for it, but utter wank. Okay, so what this song is about, it's about the um, dissolution of the more factionized youth culture of the 1980s. Okay. So it's a similar thing where it was the reason why Shane Meadows made the film This Is England. He felt like, you know, back in the day you'd have like, uh, you know, like skinheads and other sort of like youth subcultures. Yeah. That would sort of de- you'd be a part of this or you'd be a part of that. And it's Robbie sort of talking about when he was young, he saw a thing, a graffiti that somebody wrote on a bus stop sign that said Burslem Normals, which meant like it was a gang. Uh, Burslem was a part of Stoke on Trent. Okay, that, yeah, and that makes sense. He he never knew about them. He never met anyone who was in them. But it was just the the romanticizing in his head of this idea that like they were this scary gang somewhere to be avoided, but there was something to be. You know, like it was yeah. like it was almost like you know how mafia movies show like being a gangsterous like. You know, it's something to be at least. Yeah, yeah. And the song is about him being sad that you know you get old and you get sort of removed from that culture. Yeah, I actually, I know you said you didn't like. I actually like this one. Uh, it's not like I dislike it. I wrote that I think it's pretty nice and atmospheric. It's just this is kind of the one song on the album that didn't stick with me, and I listened to the album. It has a times. really nice rising flute just before the chorus that like comes in. That I really like. I think yeah. the production is really like, like when I I was listening, I listened to this album twice. And then I listened to it for a third time, and I just like couldn't focus on it. And I had to listen to Birds and Normals first to like reset my head and like get me into the rest of the flow. Yeah, it's such a change of pace. It's really slow and yeah. kind of drifty, but it works. And I honestly find it. I know you said that you don't like the last verse, but I don't know. Does it work better with context where he's talking about like specifically about youth gangs? Yeah, a little like... bit. Yeah, I just I think that the song's good. I just think the last verse is a little bit, a little bit poor. Well, he says you know, and so the Birds and lads now that they're all dads. That meant they meant so much to me. It makes me sad. Like yeah. Uh, to me like that actually, I find it low-key kind of moving it feels like the only song Robbie's ever wrote where he's talking about something that specifically makes him in a very personal way very sad yeah like other times it's stuff that pretty much everyone can relate to but he's like talking about something that is specific but sort of is kind of universal when you think back about like you know time lost and stuff like that and also I, I love the, the line in your wake there's now left which is repeated which sort of brings it very you know yeah. close to home for Robbie yeah it's a drop in now but um, it's also worth noting that for the album, there was like a promotional thing. At, wait, I'm just checking. We're two hours and ten minutes in. For this, for this album, uh, there was a series of short films made for it. Now, there was one made for this one called Goodbye to the Normals. So, And that's why I think context is important, because if you listen to the track and you just hear Goodbye to the Normals, it sounds like it's saying goodbye to normal people, but here he's specifically saying like goodbye to a kind of youth subculture. Yeah. But the Goodbye to the Normals short film is about like a little kid saying to his family in like a middle class home in the UK that he's going to leave and move to America and the parents are like uh, are you sure and he's like yes no I packed he's a very precocious kid like the kind of thing that was like cool around the mid 2000s so it's like, got nothing to do with the song absolutely nothing no it's interesting it seems like the short is like Eclipse Robbie Williams if you search yeah. for Goodbye to Normals it, Robbie Williams isn't associated with it really even though he commissioned it effectively it's kind of it kind of went viral like it has really a lot of views people reposting it on their YouTube accounts I think like basically the gist of the sketch is that the kid um is like really ahead of his years and the mum's like i packed you a sandwich and he's like is it fair trade so it's organic and he's like is that what i asked which is honestly kind of funny but um <laughs> what a dickhead. i know the kid's also called magnus which i'm gonna say official robbie hole statement 
if your name is Magnus, press pause and go to the nearest deed poll office. Change that. But, like, also, um, <laughs> the kid basically... All our listeners called Magnus, fuck! <laughs> We're going to lose 50% of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, 50% of four is pretty easy to lose. <laughs> Sad. But... So the kid then actually goes off to leave and the parents are standing thinking like, oh, this is sad. And he runs off and then to the sort of synth strains of Goodbye to the Normals, he turns around in slow motion, he's running back and the parents are like, oh, he's going to come back. Stick out their arms, like hug him. Then he runs into the house, runs back out again, holding his passport saying, I forgot my effing passport. And then runs <laughs> off. You know, it's a decent guy. It's pretty funny, yeah. yeah. And then fades out, you see www.goodbytothenormals.com. Now, what's kind of funny to me is this is quite obviously like a single, like two, like three minute sketch. But the most, like, the description of the most popular YouTube riff of it is, like, I don't know what this is. I think it's a trailer for some movie called Goodbye to the Normals. Anyway, here, it's cool. Watch it. Which, in, two, in like, 2007, if you found a video on the internet, you'd be like, I'm going to put this on YouTube. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Did you go to the website? Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, sadly. Did you wave back machine it? Goodbye to the Normals. We didn't wave back machine it. But to be fair, I don't think there'd be much on there. I think yeah. it'd be basically, like, look, there's a Rootbox album, but... The thing is, <laughs> like, there's a rude box out. <laughs> what do you mean? That's nothing. That's insanity. <laughs> but um, I let's see. I was reading about um, the specific. So it was directed by Jim Field Smith. The short film he directed, "She's Out of My League," that sort of recent film that came out like a couple of years back. And I read this like annoying um, advertising magazine's taken it, which was like, "Wow, it's really cool how you can't actually tell it's a Robbie Williams advert." And it concludes with this, which is like I think the most marketing man speak ever. No one feels conned when they realise it's an advert, just as no one feels conned when they suss out goodbye to the normals as a promo. There's a lesson in this for advertisers of all persuasions. You don't have to hit people over the head with a message. They like finding it for themselves. Which, I don't. I don't. <laughs> if you find, like, any internet rabbit hole yeah. and the conclusion is it's an advert, it is incredibly disheartening. Yeah, I agree. Fuck that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that was... that. I think it's interesting that that song in particular was chosen because I think it's definitely the most low-key track on the entire album. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, Burrs and Normals. Uh, there is one thing I want to drop in here just because I don't think there's anywhere else we'll be able to put it. Um, over the past, since the last recording, I've listened to all of the audiobook for Robbie Williams' 2017 autobiography reveal. Okay. Um, which deals a lot from this point on, on to his present. Um, but there's one tidbit I'm just going to drop here because someone else from Burslem is Phil Taylor. That's okay. Point. And his autobiography just randomly drops in, like, with very little context otherwise, the bizarre line, uh, darts player Phil Taylor sometimes sends Robbie ideas for lyrics. Phil the power Taylor. Do you think he wrote Angels? Definitely. 100%. <laughs> that Irish guy had nothing to do with it. It was all Phil the power Taylor. <laughs> He's just chucking darts in between saying, like, how's about, she brings flesh to my bones. Oh, that's great, Phil. Thank you. <laughs> But, um, okay, so the next track, yeah. Kiss Me. Does any of this sound familiar, Nathan? <laughs> Just for the record, let it show I wrote one million percent a cover. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's from, but I, I listened to it and I was like, this is a fucking cover. So do you remember when I talked about in the last episode, Stephen Duffy, the big producer, used to be like a pop star, looked like Timothy yeah, Chalamet? Yeah. This is a cover of when he was Stephen Tintin Duffy. And you know how I said he had that song that had the line, Kiss Me With Your Mouth, that he tried to release three times? Yeah. Well, it's attempt number four. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote a note on it, but my handwriting is so bad, I don't know what I wrote, so... I just think it's fairly bland. Oh, that's yeah. what it says. It, it sounds a bit like the Fall Guys menu music. <laughs> Do you not think? Like a little bit, like especially the beginning bit. 
Like the Fall Guys menu music's like really upbeat and like, it's got a similar vibe. I think it opens in an insane way. Like the yeah. original 80s one is like nothing like that. It bursts, in, it sounds like it's midway through a rave. I mean, if you release the song for the fourth time, you've got to make it sound a little bit different, right? Uh, he got a producer on it, which was Joey, and then followed by the, uh, his surname was the Spanish word for black. And he did it, and he pretty much said that like he wanted to, you know, update the sound of it and bring it to the two thousands. Which I, I don't know. It's a really weird. It's it too maximalist. I think. Yeah. I still like this because I think that the chorus melody of "Kiss Me" is like really strange but works. But I don't have any problem with this, but I also don't really like. Yeah, it's definitely not like a highlight of the album by any means. It's definitely it might actually probably be my least. I always forget the Rootbox exists. Yeah. <laughs> Rootbox is such like a black hole this is of what I mean, like, When you you've got to... to this point, like it's hard to imagine that you listen to that <laughs> at the start. Like it's almost incomprehensible that we started with the Rootbox. And just knowing how many other good tracks are on this album, it makes its decision as a lead single insane. But um okay, These so next two tracks, I think we should group together. Oh, uh, I, I I think I know they're very musically different, but they have the same ideology. I just want to say one more thing about the Joey guy. Oh sorry. Uh, Joey is white. He chose that stage name himself and uh, changed it a couple months back because of Black Lives Matter. His name is Dave Lee. Yeah, that makes good sense. Well done, Joey. It shouldn't have taken to 2020 to pull that off. Mate. Yeah, just a weird choice. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the Kiss Me cover, it's kind of... It's, it's, yeah. I don't think... I think the original song's pretty good, so this is never going to be that bad for me, but it's just kind of... doesn't really hit the same mark as yeah. the original. Yeah. The 80s. The 80s. I... For both of these tracks, have some respect for it being here. I, I like I've got to admit, I really like this track. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Robbie being completely honest and clear. That's what I mean. This it's so open and just there for you. Uh, yeah. Th there's one thing I don't respect about yeah. it. Yeah, and we should probably just get over that quickly. He says something very racist. Uh, which one? No, <laughs> which? Okay, I only got one. I want about the taxi bit. What was the tax? I didn't. He implies that. that all taxi drivers are Muslims. Uh, did he? Yeah, he does. Uh, um, did he? He said, "Down Scotia Road to a taxi bay, then I ran again because I couldn't pay. Young Muslim didn't get his fare that day. I apologise today." And no, I think wait. that implies that all of them are. It's just hold oh, up maybe I'm just the racist. No, hold up a sec. That's literally not what he says. This is another weird example of them massively mistranscribing the lyrics. That is no. They, no, seriously, he's he's saying the busman didn't get his fare that day. That's what he's saying. I think you're going to have to play that. It sounds like Muslim as well. I'll play it. He literally, every time I've heard, I didn't check those lyrics. Why are you talking about taxi and busman? Uh, because he... I swear he's saying the busman. You can, you, there, is, there is reason he would say Muslim, because, like, a, it's an unfortunate stereotype, especially exists in the north of the country more. Okay, well, let's let's have a listen. What? Well, okay, he's literally... I always thought it was the yeah. bossman didn't get his fare that day. He's saying... He definitely doesn't remember that one particular taxi ride. So he's implying off the probability that it was a Muslim. That's... It is slightly inappropriate. I know. I didn't even it, clock that. I will... Yeah, it's, it's not appropriate, but I don't think it's massively racist, I'll say. It, it is it worth me a just... debate about how racist yeah, it is or not? Yeah, not? Who cares? Yeah, uh, like, it's what? a weird decision either way. I, I yeah, just, like... it is. Yeah. But, um... I had the okay. first thing I could think when the song came on, he started talking about. Uh, he starts with like, uh, like a smoke weed. consulate, some pie yeah, drive. Yeah, all I could think was in like David Brent, like, oh, you're hard. <laughs> like, like, oh, sorry, mate. Didn't realize we were dealing with you. You're hard, mate. It, it does. There is like a weird. <laughs> there is part where he brags about being the second in his year to see boobs. 
Yeah. Which is like... Yeah, like, but, ooh, oh, sorry, mate, didn't realise I was dealing with you. At the same yeah, time... He, he says, in my 30s now, and I'm still impressed. Which yeah, is which is fucking terrible. <laughs> but I've got to say, I think the main sort of guitar, like, backing of this is amazingly good. Yeah. I think it really captures a moment of 80s working class in the North as well. It feels like a perfect, like, nostalgic memory kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it we ch- don't even have mis- nostalgic memories yeah. of the 80s. We weren't alive. But, like... It captures that scene so well that it cr- you can create nostalgia from that. I genuinely think it is a track that succeeds at everything it tries to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I was so impressed that these exist on the same album as Rootbox. Also, it just gives so much of an insight into like his actual like yeah personal history. Like he's saying yeah. like Aunt Joe died of cancer. God didn't have an answer. That is such an incredibly quick way of saying that he lost his faith in God once his Aunt Joe died. Yeah. Just an incredibly efficient way of doing that. And also, I do like the line, <laughs> me so horny, me so young, and I still get my washing done. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of, like, yeah, it's this, legit. This song's, this song's good. Um, and then we've got, we've, got to, we've got to talk about the part where he talks about losing his virginity. It's yeah. still amazing how unsexy he like, makes everything, where he sort yeah. of says he saw a girl's part. Which, yeah, ew. that made me very uncomfortable. Made a mess on her dress. Like, yeah. he also... I ma- that funny, though. <laughs> he calls her out by name. That's very... That's very... <laughs> Kanye. Can't go... Can't go work. <laughs> Same clothes again. <laughs> Can't get... <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> there is no good joke that can come of that. But yeah, I, I did he... Is that actually her real name, or did he pick that name because it rhymed? I would not surprise me for him to use real names. He's yeah, it wouldn't incredibly... surprise me either, but is it? Is, you know... Uh, I don't know, but, um, I mean, okay, so, chorus-wise, things look better when they start, that's how the 80s broke my heart. It's really good. Like, uh, just the fact that, you know, as you get older, you don't have as many new experiences in various yeah. ways. It's just, apart from the fact that the, it ends with him, like, actually doing a, another ableist thing. What does he say? I missed it. It's the 80s, what are you looking at, you mom? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I did pick that up. I just didn't write it down. That, like, again, like, it's... Which, on one level, I get, because if it's a song about the 80s, obviously that word is more prevalent then, but just, you just, you don't need to do it, really. Yeah. yeah. There's stuff where it, sorry, this is track, backtracking a bit, the stuff where he talks about how, like, he was shamed at school for having ADD and yeah. stuff like that is, like, very good, because, like, that is just the truth. Like, like if you, if you had any sort of learning disability, even, like, I don't mean it's a horrible, but even like minor ones like ADD, dyslexia, and stuff like that. Um, like, you were just cast off. It was like, learn how to lift boxes, mate. That's what you're doing. Now he's lifting rude boxes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's 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 just one of the. It, it's, it encapsulates the appeal of this album to me in that it's Robbie 100% doing what he wants to do, and it's a track that by it literally couldn't come from anyone other than him. And this is why the album needs to be called 1974. Mm. Like, these songs are why 1974 fits yeah. the album. Uh, I also think that this and the 90s should be the final tracks on the album. I, I also like agree. That summertime comes I also completely agree. Um, we'll get to, um, I also want to say that, like, there's a little funk guitar bit that comes in at the end of the song that's fading out that is so good. Yeah. It's a track where, like, every little production decision is so well done. I'm going to see who produced it. Oh, Jerry Meehan. He'll come up again, Jerry Meehan. But yeah, um, Jeremy is a close friend of Robbie's, and I think the fact that he worked with a close friend on a track about growing up in Stoke. Makes sense. Good stuff. Yeah, I also think the 90s is good. I think yeah, it's, good it's also yeah, good I think the, same the way. kind of the shift in sound to reflect the difference between the two decades it's, is really smart yeah. as well. I mean, I looked at really the tracks and I'm definitely going to do that right, but yeah. yeah. And this... I, I think that 
I think this is worth talking about them like as one. Like I, I really like it as one. I know they're different soundscapes, but I really like them as one idea together. They flow perfectly. It's like the yeah. first time in his album, it's like you can tell this track is meant to follow this track. Yeah. Like they're a concept. Yeah. There. Seemed like a cock. I don't know what Gar- he's referring to. <laughs> I don't know about the ideas he's talking about. Or... So for context, he talks a bit about joining Take That and the group that. And yeah, he, he talks about how he doesn't like Gary Barlow again. He let loves talking you, about that. Let me know how you really feel about him, Robbie. Go on. And the fact that he said in the chorus, I can't forgive and it's crazy, is like, yeah, he clearly has a massive grudge still against Gary Barlow yeah, at this point. And again, I think even he finds it confusing. Like, I don't, I don't think he wants to have the grudge. Like, I think he just can't help himself. Also, these two tracks, Robbie's rapping and he's actually good at it. Yeah. He's actually good at rapping. Yeah. Which makes the lumber-headed flow on Rudebox completely nonsensical. So, do you see what I mean, though? I'd like, so yeah. Like, I got to the end of the album and I just had to listen to it again and be like, they're not it's on the same album. I think these two tracks is being more honest to who he is and yeah. what he would be. as a, Like, with Rudebox, he's clearly like putting on affectations and trying to be a different kind of rapper. This, I think it feels more... It's, it's Robbie Williams rapping, which is why it works. It's it's like this. Additionally, I, I just felt like if you did more promo with these tracks, people would get more of a grip of what I the just, album's going to be about. I just really respect these two songs a lot. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah, they're they're also it's not even just that like in concept they're like really you know the honesty is appreciable. It's not even just that you can appreciate the honesty in concept. These two songs I'd say are some of the best he's ever written in terms yeah. of their songwriting. Yeah. But um. Yeah, but well, so obviously it deals a lot with take that. The yeah. ideas, but there's one specific figure in Take That that is missing. Yeah, you notice he didn't really mention the manager, Nigel Martin Smith. Yeah, yeah, because <coughs> there's original version where he did. Oh, what did he say? These lines, have you found them, John? I did see them. I can't remember them. I didn't note them down. Okay, so these lines were removed because Nigel Martin Smith actually threatened legal action if they were staying. Yeah, they leaked before the album came out, and <laughs> Nigel Martin Smith threatened to sue. He Good. also he actually I found the entirety of them online because he performed them live in concert like uh, like yeah, just yeah. before the album came out. No, actually he performed them live in concert around March just to be like I can't see why Nigel would oppose these. And in the video, it's cut off at the start, but you can make out sixteen and chubby told me lose twenty pounds and you're not Robert, you're Robbie. And if you see you with a girl, then you're gonna be sorry. And if you don't sign this contract, get your bags from the lobby. He's such an evil man, I used to fantasize. I'd take a Stanley knife and go and play with his eyes. I pray that he won't have any children. He didn't spot Elvis leaving the building. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why anyone would have a problem with any of them lines. They sound very nice about him. Uh, the bit where I described him as an evil man, I can't imagine why anyone would bring any lawsuits against that. The fact that he, like, Robbie Williams was going to threaten to murder somebody on a song. <laughs> it's fantastic, yeah. I take a Stanley knife and go and play with his eyes. <laughs> have we have we missed uh, our Robbie Hall exclusive, by the way? Is that still coming? That's coming. Okay. That's coming, that's coming. But, um, so, yeah, you, it's it's an interesting decision there. There was yeah. also apparently an earlier part where he said that um, Nigel Martin-Smith didn't pay them properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's where a lot of the controversy yeah. came from. Um, I'm just gonna see. Uh, so there is a part in this song as well where he talks about dinners with Versace and Princess Diana. Yeah. Now he did attend a very high-profile dinner with Versace in nineteen ninety-five. In in the year nineteen ninety-five, when he was still a member of Take That, and uh, <laughs> that is a dinner that has led to the existence of this picture. What is going on? In the... Do you know who it is? What to the right? Who's he talking to there? 
I don't want to say in case I'm wrong. Say it. No. Just say tell it. me who it is. Say it. No. It's Tupac. Yeah, I was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say on mic that I'm massively wrong. Yeah, no, I thought it was Tupac. Yeah, we obviously mentioned on an earlier rep that he had met Tupac, uh, but we didn't realise there was a picture of it. And it's That's very great. good. That is great. I mean, I imagine he was a big fan. Like, oh, yeah, yeah he, he was, certainly yeah. loves it. Probably. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I imagine that was a good day for him. There's a great video on YouTube from uh, 2013 where Tupac's bodyguard, Frank Alexander, is looking through a big scrapbook of photos of like uh, from Tupac's life. And he stumbles upon that one. He's like, that guy, he was like from Europe. He was like a singer, I think. I can't remember his name. Either way, he was talking to Tupac. But just the, it was just funny like to hear Robbie Williams referred to as like a singer from, from Europe, Europe, I think. Like, <laughs> just shows how little impact he had over that. Like, it's everyone knows who Robbie Williams is here. But yeah, that photo was great. Um, Summertime. This has an interesting writing history. Big fish, little fish, cardboard box. Big fish, little fish, cardboard box. Again, I've got to say, I, I like this track. Yeah, we go back to Mandalay. Well, interestingly enough, this song was written before The Road to Mandalay came out. This was one of the first songs he wrote after he left Take That. Oh, wow, okay. It was originally released as, like, a B-side, and is the soundtrack uh, to the credits of the film Mike Bassett, England Manager. Oh, really? Yeah. No way, that film's funny. I've heard like, a lot of good things about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably it won't stand up to me for you because you don't like football, but, like... I mean, it's got the royal family guy in it, and I think he's a great actor. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Like it's just like a, it's so funny. Like it, it plays into such like British stereotypes around football and like like football managers and stuff. And like he screams stuff like four four fucking two, which is like this really traditional way of playing that England is seen as being like we're not like there's European football and British football. And British football is get the shit kicked out of you. It's hard men playing hard football. We're gonna run through you. And then continental football is like technical and nice and stuff. It isn't true anymore, but like it plays into them. So it's a very funny film. Yeah, that. So like that. This also fits for the ending of that film. I don't know why I hadn't picked that up. Yeah, like it does for sure. So his original '90s recording of that is the actual credits music there. Great. And all the lyrics are the same. I expected the Road to Mandalay thing to be new, the Big Fish, Little Fish, Carbo Box, but now all of that's still yeah, there. The Big Fish, Little Fish, Carbo Box one was definitely written in the '90s. <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah, so that's there. But the production is quite interesting too. He the it was produced by um, a guy. Wait, what's his name again? William Orbit. It was produced by William Orbit again, the guy who did Louise. But he said that he wanted it to be like a complete kind of ambient soundscape. So he said that he went to Orbit's house, recorded the vocals on like a 50 quid microphone, and then just left Orbit to do the entire instrumental. And I, I think it pays off. It's kind of a... It doesn't fit really with the rest of the album. I also agree with John. It just yeah, it, it's, it's kind of... It, my feelings towards it just diminished because I don't think it should be the final track of the album. It should be a B-side. It's, like, it's, it's not a terrible song. It's just the 90s should be the final track. Yeah. In my opinion, yeah, I, I yeah, think that totally. I can see why he did this though, because yeah. it's like it was one of the first tracks he ever wrote, and this is by far his most personal album. And to end it with that is like kind of a bookend kind of thing, which I can appreciate that. But like at the very least, like there's not much to say lyric-wise. It's just sort of a song about how the nice the summer is, how drinking shandy yeah. and whatever yeah. the sun is nice. But it's time we got onto the hidden track. So to start with the rude box and to end with dickhead is kind of immense. And for reference, right, me and John, the first things we knew about this album, all we'd heard were those two tracks. So we thought this album was going to be something very different it's, to what it was. From a meme standpoint, it's a disappointment, because it's not as bad as I thought it would be. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted it to be garbage and terrible, and we could laugh at it and be like, ha the rude box. But there's just a lot of good songs in the middle. So we'll, we'll get and to that. It just kind of ruins it. <laughs> 
so the fact that it, like the thing is I don't even like I don't even dislike this hidden track too much no I'm for it it's it's very fun yeah but the fact that it is it opens and closes with the two most insane yeah. things he's ever done is a bizarre decision. yeah and he does say the words Rasclart yeah which is funny so, it calls out Radiohead at one point right yeah what's yeah, that well, about we can do a little Radiohead corner if you want I know you're a big fan so yeah there are, uh, Robbie has somewhat not a major history with... I imagine, like, Tom Hazen, right? Surely. Well. well. So, first of all, the Robbie Williams once spoke about um, Radiohead. He, he generally doesn't get them, he says, but he thinks Tom's voice is incredible. But he does describe their career as they went all rude boxy but got it right. <laughs> Which doesn't Which apply to is any... describing as rude boxy? There is none that you could apply that to in any sense. Yeah. I don't know what he's heard. <laughs> uh, he so from the album Rude Box spawns a thing he would occasionally do called Radio Rude Box, which is from his website. He would do like live broadcasts where he plays music he likes, would talk a bit, and there was one where he played a lot of Britpop music and he played Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead. And the way he described it was it had gotten its willy out and taken a waz over all the other songs they played. <laughs> Maybe Tom does like it, though. Uh, well, there is one encounter between uh, Robbie and Tom. I don't know exactly when in history it occurs, but he talks about it in Reveal, the book. He Big says that uh, he was at <laughs> he was at Abbey Road Studios. Yeah. And it, it wasn't even a meeting. They just walked past each other. Robbie was walking one way, Tom walks the other and Tom just does jazz hands at him and goes, Robbie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's um, on brand. <laughs> Robbie said it made him want to twat him. <laughs> right. Has he threatened Damon Albarn at any point? Uh, Probably. I, I don't know. If, if we can get Liam, Tom, and Damon yeah. threatened, that's, that's the three. There is, that's the three you're after. There is a point in an upcoming episode where we could talk about his relationship with some Britpop stuff, so I'll look into it for them, but yeah. I don't know exactly. Please tell me he's also wanting to fight to fight Damon, because if you get the big three, like, you've made it. Okay, could one of you guys sort of give a summary of this song and the title? Yeah, well, it's called Dickhead. Uh, he says dickhead a lot, which is funny. He talks about having a bucket of shit. Not dog shit, not cow shit, not horse shit. Real shit. Implying that human shit is of a higher standard than dog shit. So, this track is him really trying to do grime. It's a weird grime beat. You think? Well, look, I'm just saying for the audience's sake. What? Well, this know, is I definitely just, him trying to do grime. I didn't pick up on that. I don't know why my head just didn't I, click. I can see that. This is 100% like, yeah. Oh, I, don't, I just didn't click. That, that actually makes me respect this track a lot more. It's like the, if you listen to the track Routine Check that he was inspired by a lot, you can really see where a lot of the inspiration came from. Okay, I just didn't pick up on that, that's cool. Also, um, interestingly, it's got these sort of like, it's, the instrumental is different to any grime track I've ever heard. Like, it's really got these classical little plucked, like, what they called, like, pizzicato things. It's a weird little thing, it's a nice little touch, but yeah, he pretty much just talks about a person who he doesn't ever clarify who, just don't kick my dog. And he has said that in the week that he recorded that, somebody actually did kick his dog. Dickhead. Yeah, every line ends with that. He does say it funny. He like strokes his eyes like, dickhead. He says that there's one in your mouth, there's one on parade, don't have kids, you don't want any of them to be made. Yeah, I wrote that line out in particular because it's fucking funny. Like, that line is genuinely good. (laughs) There's also this pronunciation of, 
You're going home in a Staffordshire ambulance. Yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking I know what you're wanting to talk about right now, John. Oh, wait, no. I get what you mean. That'll be later on. That'll yes. be later on. Okay. So, okay. So, the bit about the bucket, right? That's not by Robbie. That's by MC Tofty. Oh, yeah. Because it says at the beginning, it says Tita Ofty. Yeah. Can I just say, calling yourself MC Tofty is really funny. <laughs> it's it's an amazing name. The thing is, right, though, MC Tofty isn't Robbie Williams. He isn't Robbie Williams. Oh. MC Tofty is actually not credited anywhere other than being MC Tofty. MC Tofty has not appeared on any other song ever. So it's not Robbie Williams. No, I mean it. It's not Robbie Williams. Oh. You know when I said I had a Robbie Hole exclusive? You know who MC Tofty is? Nowhere on the internet can you look and find out who MC Tofty is. This isn't public knowledge, but it is definitely not Robbie Williams. It genuinely isn't. I've been digging for years trying to figure out who this is. Did you finally crack it? <laughs> okay. Did you email Robbie himself? Well, I my means were... It's... The fact you didn't say no to that kind of makes no, me I very No, okay, I didn't, I didn't email Robbie himself. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. This was the first track I heard years ago that convinced me the Robbie Holler song needs to be explored. This track's insane. Rephrase that. It's... <laughs> no. I want, we all want to go face first into Robbie's hole. We, yes, this is a yeah. classic thing that we want to do. But I realised that this is definitely not Robbie Williams. The pitch of voice is completely different. The fact that he's laughing in the background as if he's hearing someone in the studio say it, it's a completely different person. If you listen to Robbie's verses and MC Tofty's verse, which... In fact, could you could you just read this out, Nathan? Because it's insane that this happens well, in the middle of the song. Um, <laughs> I've got a bucket of shit, oh yeah. I've got a bucket of shit. I've got a bucket of shit, oh yeah. I've got a bucket of shit. Not horse shit, cow shit, dog shit. No, real shit. And then he repeats that again. I'm not going to do it yeah. again. Uh, again, it's really funny that human shit is real shit. And like at a higher platform of other shit. The fact that it's in any song at all is insane. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like Jar of Dirt from Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever. <laughs> like... Again, real quick moment. Do you remember when they played the Pirates of the Caribbean music? <laughs> 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 that is an incredible moment. It makes no sense. <laughs> I think about it all the time. It turns around to Martin, like, Marty sat in the crowd and he's like, What? <laughs> right. Anyway. Okay. MC Tofty. The identity of MC Tofty, right? I initially thought, like, the fact that you couldn't find who he was on any website or any Robbie interview or anywhere completely fascinated me. Because I did, who on earth would want their identity hidden that much? So I looked into the recording of this track in particular. Robbie said that he and his friend Jerry Meehan recorded it as, like, a little experiment for, a, like, a joke. And it was like, the first track recorded for the album made him realise, I kind of want to do stuff that sounds like this. And that made me think, okay, Jerry Meehan, he's from Stoke-on-Trent. He's got kind of a British accent. Maybe he recorded it in the studio as, like, a little joke with him. Then I listened to, like, Jeremy's voice. Nothing like MC Tofty's. There was no way that he could constrict his voice to be anywhere close to MC okay. Tofty's. Then I looked into um, what people at the time were saying about the album, and somebody said they thought it was somebody that opened up my third eye. Once I heard that it could be this person... Oh, Robbie, Once I heard that it could be this person, I was like, no way. No way. And I listened back and I was like, this can't be. But the more research I did, the more it was obvious that it was them. So... This track was recorded partially in an L.A. studio. That is where I, I get that, you know, Robbie and his friend made the track in L.A., like, that's a joke. But then part of it was recorded in the U.K. 
And after looking at stuff, listening back to the voice of who I thought it would be... Do you know who it is? I don't. You, you, I just don't made a, you made like a sort of like, oh, I know sound. Listening back to the voice of who I thought it would be, along with MC Tofties in rapid succession, and then in total watching about 121 Robbie Williams videos combined with these other people's videos in a 24-hour span. I've spent... I literally have spent like a day of my life on this mystery alone. But I put together so much... Listen to so much audio, watch so many videos, and I've come to the conclusion. I can exclusively reveal for Down the Robbie Hole that MC Tofty is Ant from Ant and Deck. <laughs> that is both somehow worse and better than it ever could have been. Why would he not just use his actual stage name? I have no idea. I have no idea why it seems to be such a big secret that it can't be revealed. But I looked at so many Ant and Deck videos because I saw some. I can some... totally hear it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make sense. It's hundred percent yeah. him. And this is not public knowledge anywhere. This is an actual Robbie Hall exclusive. <laughs> this has been a mystery for fourteen years. <laughs> we have identified MC Tofty. Well, so how did you get onto it? Was it someone suggested online, and maybe, and you investigated from there? What happened was I was reading the contemporary response to the Rubox album on the Robbie Williams forum. And somebody, some people were talking about, like, joking about the MC Tofty thing. But weirdly, nobody was, like, asking, who is this guy? Like, nobody. I would have thought people would be all over that. But somebody mentioned, oh, it sounds like he got Ant from Ant and Deck in on there. I was like, wait a second. I listened back. I was like, whoa. And then I googled Rudebox Ant and Deck. And somebody on, like, an Amazon review for the album said, like, Deck from Ant and Deck even makes an appearance. And I was like, mm, I think we've just got them confused. And so I was listening back. Yeah, you said Ant from Ant and Deck, but I actually don't know which one's which. It's it's definitely Ant. Ant's the taller one. Ant's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know which one yeah. is which. So Ant's, Ant's the, the tall, tall one. And I listened yeah, back. Yeah, no, I can hear that. Yeah. I listened back to, like, loads of Ant and Deck footage. And then I realized, like, because there was a point where I thought I was wrong. <laughs> Just imagine if Sam watched watching Ant and Deck footage. You wouldn't believe how much of this I did. <laughs> how much X Factor have you watched this week? It's, it, you wouldn't even believe, Matt. The best resource, right, is the In Your Ear Challenges. So then you just get their voice speaking to somebody. And then I found the perfect video, right? Because Ant and Deck will speak in different registers to other people. But if they're talking to Robbie Williams, it'll be incredibly similar to what you hear on that record. So I listened to their challenge where they speak into the ear of Robbie Williams and Ada Field. And the laughs that Ant makes, like, strike this perfect register that you can find exactly in MC Tofty's performance. And also, around that time, because um, Ant and Deck are close friends of Robbie's, they've been close friends with them for years. Yeah, I can see that. And around the time of the Rude, but when he was performing Rude Box songs live, he'd bring them on stage to do songs with them. Now he's never performed this track live ever. I've looked because no. Why would yeah, you? Nobody. He's even said he's joked about it because he thinks it'd turn the entire crowd off. But after putting all that stuff I like together, Rudebox, which gets everyone in the mood. Yeah, Jesus Christ. But I'm so pleased because this is something that's been bothering me for years. Should we just email? What is he? Robbie Williams at gmail.com. <laughs> Robbie.Williams74 at gmail.com uh, I hope we get some sort of award for this. I, I, I honestly just want to email this agent and be like, can you confirm this? Because like, nobody's ever asked him. That's the annoying thing. Literally nobody's ever should just, just asked Should him. we email his agent or whatever, pretend to be actual press? Like, genuinely, <laughs> just say like, we're writing for a fake newspaper. We're and, from like, down the Robbie hole from Condé Nast. <laughs> <laughs> and like, genuinely inquire and ask and see if we get a reply. I feel like we could. I, I, I don't know. We, we could do. Uh, I think, like, we need, uh, it'd be nice to find out some way from the horse's mouth. Like, yeah, I, I honestly really think we should, like, try and write that email tonight. But I think, based on what I've done, like, there is nobody on earth I think it'd be more likely to be. Obviously, I was never in the studio. I can't confirm 100%, but I've done a lot of research, and, like, I think this is a Robbie Hall exclusive. Okay. okay. MC Tofty is Ant McPartland. <laughs> 
Again, why do you not just use this already established, like, rap name? Uh, PJ. Yeah, I, I don't know which one he is, but yeah. I mean, I can see maybe why he wouldn't use that. Um, but... To be fair, like, would you want to deny the existence of the words MC Tofty in the world? <laughs> yeah, and I teach would. the mother effing Ofty, <laughs> as he says in the fucking Ofty. Right. Oh. Are, we, are we happy with calling it there with the album? I'm just going to look at one more wee thing just to check. But, oh, I'm so glad. You, I have not told this information to anybody. I was like, there is, I was like uh, yeah. saying it, like mouthing it to myself and just getting chills. <laughs> You're probably going to have to cut this because it's really offensive. But there's, um, on the, are you, you guys, I didn't read any of the YouTube comments like you told me. But you guys know they've adjusted by the comments boxes now, so it's like directly mm. below the video. Yeah. And you only see one. So I saw one comment on the She's Madonna video. I don't know if anyone saw this, also there a top comment. <laughs> the top comment was fucking how Jesse J's looking rough. <laughs> beautiful yeah it's oh bad. right okay now there's the <laughs> ridiculous amount of post-album yeah. content well do we want to do our ratings for the album yeah i do okay. i also yeah. as soon as we've done our ratings we're not going to cut the episode but can we take five i need to get a drink yeah. okay yeah i have a headache okay uh i think i'm gonna go a six out of ten for this which it, it kind of like i almost don't want to give it such a middle of the road score for what this album is but I think some of the hits are really good, but you also have that section kind of towards the back half where there's quite a few duds in a row. Yeah. So, I, six. I really don't know where to go, Matthew, you go. I have an insane take on this album. Let's have it. I'm for it. I think it's his best album and I'm giving it an eight. I'm so happy you've done that. I'm so happy you've done that. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I never yeah. expected in my life to have this opinion. Yeah, no, I'm really happy you've said that though. Like, I, I every week when I had to lay my hands down and be like, hey, look, what album was it? I can't remember the Eschapology. name. Eschapology. Yeah, I had to be like, no, this is his best album. Re I was really like, and I got heavily judged, so I'm going to come and say, well, I disagree. I, I like that take. I, I simultaneously think this album is the world's biggest 2 out of 10 and the world's biggest 8 out of 10, which you can see why he'd average to a 6. Is that how maths works? It'd be a 5. <laughs> but, um... Right, could... Can we drop Rude Box? This is the thing, right? Can we drop the Rude Box and pretend it doesn't happen, okay? Shift something like Summertime... No, Summertime's not a good album, first act, like song, but just, just for the sake of keeping the same songs. Drop Rude Box, somehow shift the track order around so Summertime fits in somewhere else, and something else takes track number one. I don't think Love Light's a good track number one. Maybe She's Madonna? But that's kind of a good track four or five. But you, you get my point, right? Find yeah. something that fits mm. there, all right? And have the album end with the 80s and the 90s. I think I'd be comfortable going for seven, seven and a half. I... In its current state, five out of ten. Wow. The thing, I get exactly what you mean about the Rude Box thing, though. Because it's like, to me, it almost feels like a tax you have to pay for listening to the album. <laughs> yeah, like, it just shouldn't exist. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. The rest of the album has nothing to do with it. The rest of the album is so accomplished in places. Why did it exist? Please tell me who let that come out first. Do you guys actually know, like, who's Robbie in charge? Robbie Williams let it happen. But, like, does Robbie Williams make the decision? Surely his marketing people make that decision. Well, we have some stuff to say about how the... Yeah. The repercussions to that, but... So, just a wee thing about the quality album, right? Beforehand, me and John had literally only heard Rude Box and the hidden track at the end. And well, we're going to reveal to Nathan that 
he had also heard Dickhead before. Yeah, I think he played it yeah, two yeah. ages ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was actually the first thing I showed. I found the origin point of the Down the Robbie Hole podcast in our group chat. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah, was like, yeah. I remember. I now like I was listening to it and I was like, I've been playing this. It must have been by then. Yeah, that was yeah. yeah. That was that kind of is the reason the podcast happened, guys. Yeah, yeah. We've got to thank it. But so knowing only those two tracks. I think me and John both expected this to be an amazing disaster that yeah. was just non-stop. Same. Well, I mean, you played me Rebox last week and I was like, I can't wait to dig into how shit this is. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to have a right old laugh at Robbie's expense. Ha ha ha. And that's what I mean. Like, I was obviously very... <laughs> I think we could, I think we have to call ourselves Robbie Williams fans. Like, we're doing a podcast about him. As a Robbie fan, I was happy for him that this wasn't terrible. But for content-wise, I was very disappointed. <laughs> I still think that this, even though it is like yeah, way better than still thought, it's really strange and in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I just wanted it like fully off the walls, terrible, like, yeah. like chicken noises in the middle of songs <laughs> and weird shit. You know what I mean? Like I wanted pure insanity. So I found like the experience of listening to it was like a smile that got bigger and bigger. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I. It, it's remarkable how good Love Light is. Also, we got to say this is definitely his most personal, most honest album, and also the the time he's really managed to, especially the 80s and nineties, really make that accomplished. Really write songs that are simultaneously yeah. honest and confessional, but are still really good. Songs. That's why a five just feels so mean. But like, I, I it genuinely also just has stuff like what's the fucking one Louise, where like it's yeah. midi garbage. Even Louise, like I, there isn't a single track in this album that I don't like. The Here's the thing: if you put Louise on another album, I'd tolerate and wouldn't care. But you put it on an album called Rubox with the song Rubox, you deserve to be punished for it. I'm not even kidding. This is actually like I'm I'm unveiling my cringe card here, but like I find Louise kind of moving in a way. I'm I'm not even kidding. Like I I I know that's literally like you know watching that's looking at that graffiti thing of Yoda with a stop sign saying stop wars and starting crying in front of it. But like I I, I think that you know it's it's surely it, it'd be more stop. Are, have you seen that, by the way? No. It's like a Reddit post with this guy saying, I'm not normally an art fan, but this art by this artist makes me emotional. And it's graffiti of Yoda holding a sign that says, Stop Wars. <laughs> Again, I'm going to repeat the joke. Surely it be Wars Stop. No. <laughs> Cheers, but, everyone. Thanks for coming. But um, the, there's a top comment on it, which is, Your brain is the size of a walnut. Which is really, really yeah. funny. Are you going to... I thought you had like something. Oh, no, no. No. I just, I just want to cap off like one little thing on the album, right? It really surprised me that I ended up thinking this was better than Sing. Because I thought Sing was going to be unquestionable yeah, high point and Rubox was going to be the worst. I've genuinely been blown away that this album isn't bad. It, it's just such a strange thing. And I think the fact that, you know, the album... I, I can't believe I agree with the enemy exactly. <laughs> but I think the fact that the album is something we can all agree on has actually really good tracks in it. And also is like, you can tell it meant a lot to Robbie. It makes what happened next. I can stand yeah. by the enemy review of the album Rude Box in the sense that it isn't bad. But to stand by the song Rude Box as good is yeah, I almost categorically like, illegal. I almost like, ignore that in my rating. Like it almost feels like yeah. it's, it's worth noting, it's not just enemy, there are there are I had, I think there've been multiple Vice articles trying to reclaim Rude Box and the, talking about it as a look, good song. The album perfectly legitimate. Yeah. The song is bad. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the worst yeah. things I've ever heard. Ever. So, yes, you're saying this makes the next stuff that's coming bad, so we're going to do post-album contest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Break. Cut. Okay. I just, I really need a drink. Jesus Christ, we're 2.52. <laughs> Fuck off, we've done three hours on the album. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, Weird. Yeah, right, so, now we're going to move on to the post-album timeline, but before we do that, I think it's important we kind of set up one of the storylines that's gonna come into it because at this point at the time of Rude Box's release take that have reunited 
Without Robbie. Without Robbie, with the post-Robbie lineup. Was he invited? Right. So the way the reunion came about, in 2005, a documentary was produced, I think for ITV or something, due to it being a decade since they broke up. And it's a very ITV. Yeah, a lot of it show. is basically like reminiscing and just looking back at stuff. But at the end of it, the final section, sees all the members, except for Robbie, but we'll get to that, come together to a house to finally meet up. It's their first time meeting again since the reunion. And the way the documentary plays it is that, ooh, is Robbie going to be here? Like, you have all the four waiting for Robbie to come on. Like, <laughs> is he going to be there? Is he going to be there? And he doesn't turn up. But what he does do is he records video messages to each of them individually that they play on the screen to them. And you can see they get quite emotional at it. Um, Robbie claims that this was entirely misleading and that he wasn't even invited to it. That oh, he wow. was just told they would be sending video messages to each other to record them. That there was no suggestion of there being any reunion to him. That's a bit uh, of a shame. Do you think he would have gone in and invited? I don't know. It's worth it knowing that it's like two weeks after that that it's announced to take back again, back take that again, back together. So it seems like it was very much like a promo thing to get them back into the line out. Well, I, I read a bit of Gary Barlow's um, autobiography regarding this, and he said that um, uh, the documentary was actually he he said that he wasn't set up in that way. He said the response to it and people saying, "Hey, you guys are really good," like made him think, "Okay, maybe we can try this again." Uh, but there's something, because there's no other way to work this in, this amazing story where he talks about how his career in the early 2000s was essentially nothing, because, you know, Robbie had massively eclipsed him, take that wasn't really a thing anymore. And he talks about how, like, so take in mind, around the time that Robbie Williams had a model of himself in Madame Two Swords, specifically designed to kiss, because everyone was yeah. manhandling the other one too much, in the uh, model of take that that was there, Gary Barlow had to be melted down to make Britney Spears. <laughs> Which is just really good. And he also says that because he was so fat, he said, why only Britney? They could have made all three of Destiny's Child. <laughs> it was a good bit, to be fair. Yeah, I like that. Also, I've got to admit, he said, like, at the early 2000s, he got, like, really fat, and he did. It was actually wild. He, like, looks like a completely different person. Do you wow. know that image I sent in the group chat where it's, like, him around the arm, like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's him. Like, that's Gary Barlow. Fucking hell. Yeah. He looks good now. Yeah, he looks... Um, honestly, Gary Barlow's fit. I can't... Yeah. Remember. He's a yeah. Tory, but he's fit. Is he Tory? Yeah. So is Craig David. What, as in, like... Bo Selector. Yes. <laughs> Wait, Bo Selector. Oh, that's his song, right? Yeah, yeah, sorry, I just I've just got this <laughs> I feel like I just got a weird vision of something to come, but I can't remember. I feel like such a like the music he makes, I feel like such a weird position to be a Tory. It's like weird. I tell you James Blake's a Tory and you're like, Yes, that one makes sense. You mean James Blunt again? Oh shit, I got it the, I got it the wrong way this time. Oh, poor Jamelia. <laughs> Stuck in the house of a Tory. But yeah, so Take That are reunited uh, by the end of 2005. Um, they tour in early 2006. Uh, so apparently the opportunity is presented at some point when they reunite for Robbie to join, but he does deny. Okay. Um, he does, however, record a hologram of him that they're allowed to use when they perform Back to Good Life. That's really weird. What, like a like pop star never stop stopping? Yeah, style I haven't hologram. looked. I haven't looked Adam up. Levine. But this is, I think, is in the book. They talk about this. That you think, he did record did a hologram. You dream this. Like, <laughs> did you like go to sleep with it in and like insert that bit? Do you think Tupac got the idea from Roy Williams when they chatted? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what that conversations uh, about. But yes, yeah, so take that tour in early two thousand six, and they released their album a month after Robbie's. Uh, so Rude Box releases twenty third of October two thousand six. It does debut at number one on the album's chart, but despite reaching number one, the sales are far below what was expected by the label EMI. Because it's called Rootbox. Yep, and the overall sales end up being overtaken by Take That's Beautiful World, which is the album that releases a month later and becomes one of the most successful albums in British music history. How does it? Um, 
Yeah. Uh, at this point, also, Gary Barlow outright says he doesn't want Robbie back. He doesn't want Robbie back. He says, we're a happy band right now. Robbie won't be joining. I um, think regarding sales figures, am I getting too ahead? Yeah, no. So, as of December 2013, the album had sold 514,000 copies in the UK. And so, globally, uh, Rudebox to this day has sold 2,600,000. And compared that to his previous album, Intensive Care, which globally sold over 6 million. And his debut sold 4 million. This is lowest yet. This is lowest yet. We'll get more into how that performance affected things as we get more into this timeline. Um, But the critical response is fairly mixed as well. There's, yeah, the opening article of, uh, opening paragraph of a Guardian article I want to talk about in quotes because I think it gives a good image of his perception at the time. It's hard to think of a recent release that has occurred quite the level of negative pre-publicity afforded Robbie Williams' seventh album. Coming hard on the heels of a world, world tour that began with Williams offering refunds to the entire audience at the opening show. Didn't know that was a thing that wow. happened, but at a Dublin show, he says at the end of the performance, yeah, I was shit, you can have a refund if you want. Um, Good on him, I guess. And ended with the singer apparently announcing his retirement from live performance. Rootbox has been billed as incontrovertible proof that the previously unstoppable Williams juggernaut has developed engine trouble. Here, it has been intimated, is the sound of Robbie Williams' big end going, an album so peculiar, so spectacularly misconceived that it will decimate his fan base at a stroke. What a bizarre, baffling, and downright strange record this is. That takes pretty fair. Yeah, basically, so it it really is the case that the response to the single dooms the album itself. Just it being called Rude Box, Rude Box being what it is, it makes Robbie into a joke. Um, He's, you know, said in the past that he thinks Perception was a motherfucker for this album that people saw the single, they'd been kind of waiting for him to fall because he was such a titan of mm. pop music in the UK that this was the first opportunity and they just dove on it and took whatever chance they could to bring him down. It does feel like that now, again, because you listen to the album and Rootbox doesn't make sense in the context of the album. But again, Robbie still sounds by it. He says there are a few, if any, of his albums that he likes better and none that are as accurate as dis- accurate a distil- distillation of him. Again, that's a completely fair take, accurate. yeah. Uh, so one of the more interesting things is he does not tour this album at all. There is no tour for Rootbox. He releases it at the end of the Close Encounters tour, which was a very difficult tour for him. He didn't enjoy doing it. Um, you know, at points during that tour, he had to take steroids and stuff to be able to get on stage. It wasn't good for him at all. So he releases this album and then doesn't tour. Uh, you know, not sporting too much, but he then doesn't release an album until 2009. So there are three years we're going to go through now where Robbie which are Robbie Williams wilderness years pretty much um, I think it's important to note that before Rudebox received such negative reception they did he said that he expressly intended to keep releasing stuff at a rapid pace saying that Rudebox wouldn't be here it is and you won't see Robbie for a few years like specifically saying that he wanted to keep up at like a quite a fast clip of recording this, the reception was so bad it does really feel like what you're saying with his I don't it's, like it feels like they did pile on him yeah, I, yeah, yeah like, I think that'll become more apparent the more we go through these years. I thought this was going to be funny, but it just feels sad at the moment. There, there are parts that are funny. <laughs> yeah, like, it just feels like, like the British press had the chance to take someone down, and like they always like... do, without fail and without question or hesitation, mm-hmm. they will, unless and you on know, his you most the Tory party. personal album as well. Yeah, it, it really, like, it really, like, the album's just not that bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, the root box is bad, and you shouldn't have released it. But, like, it's not that bad an album. It's not a killer career album. Exactly, but, well. So what I've compiled now is a timeline going from 
the album's release to early 2009 with specific dates, specific like tabloid headlines, just to give you an idea of what was happening, major events in his life. So we begin on the 6th of November, which is just a couple of weeks after October the album October release, out. yeah? Yeah. So it's the 6th of November 2006. We're in. Robbie claims he doesn't know how Dickhead got on the album. There's been some controversy caused with Dickhead because it's perceived in the media to be about the Gallagher brothers. Oh, And okay. there is apparently an earlier version of the song. I don't know the specific line, I don't know if you found it, that implies that Liam is inbred. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> so, Robbie, he does send a note apologising to the brothers, saying, I don't know how this got on, I'm sorry. No response. I haven't heard the album. I doubt I will. Apparently that's the, be- that's the best track on it. He sent this note to her office claiming he didn't know it was on the album. He can fuck right off. I don't give a fuck what he thinks, and I don't give a fuck about him. A very Noel Gallagher yeah. response. Twenty <laughs> fourth of November, a couple weeks later, Noel Gallagher is convinced Robbie Williams will kill himself, and he would happily load the gun for his longtime rival. He has no sympathy for Williams, who he believes will turn to suicide because of his, because of his battles with depression. He says, "I put the bullet in the gun," as he's eventually going to do it himself, as he is a grossly unhappy person. Jesus a very Christ! Response. Yeah. That's the most cruel things I've ever heard yeah. a person a say very to another. No response. <laughs> Uh, but right, here's the problem, okay? This is why you don't call out the Gallagher brothers. Yeah. It's interesting that Noel's getting involved in it now because it, it's previously mostly been. It feels Liam. weird for him to defend Liam yeah. slightly as well. It's been 2006, they've broken up by now, right? They're pretty good. No, no, it's no, 2008. It's 2008, thank you. I thought it was 2005. Nah, nah, nah. But it's weird to me that, like, I. I haven't found any evidence for this weird Gallagher version of the track anyway. It's all, it seems to be it like. Was, there's one Oasis fan site that was around at the time. And the guy who runs it, like, reported on a version he claims he'd heard that um, calls Liam inbred. So I don't know if there's any truth to it, if it was just a rumour. It's not that bad, is but... it? It's not that it's bad. It's insane that it's, like, it was blown up so much, considering nobody could have it, find yeah. any evidence for it whatsoever. Uh, 30th of November. Former Oasis manager Alan McGee claims Robbie is a crime against music and a destroyer of pop culture. Yeah, That's this, just this untrue. doesn't feel like a targeted attack on a man, does yeah. it, at all? There's nothing building here. And then the 17th of December, Williams unwanted in England. Robbie feels like he's overstayed his reputation and is no longer welcome in the UK, so he will remain in Los Angeles. This album was received so badly that he feels like he can't stay in the country anymore. Mate, the UK's a fucking mental place. Like, this was not album. that bad! <laughs> like, the album got an 8 from NME. Like, this, this shouldn't happen in the same timeline. Uh, <laughs> now we move on to... to, to so just, just, just... We released an album in October, okay? We've not reached 2007 yet. And he's been threatened to be murdered by the Gallagher Brothers. <laughs> Their manager said he's a crime against pop music. And he can't come back to the UK. What an incredible Christmas at the, the Williams household. Uh, so now we move on to 2007. 13th of January. EMI accounts costs of Robbie's flop. Uh, it's not entirely Robbie's fault, but music sales in general were down for EMI um, yeah. at the end of 2006. And the company are going to have to make $110 million worth of cuts. Uh, the EMI chairman and chief, Alan Levy, Levy and his deputy, David Munns, are fired. Um, at the same time, Reunited Take That have just announced a new tour that sold out massively. It's become one of the most successful tours ever. Uh, also on the 13th of January, Rob's a Brit of a loser. Rootbox is left with zero Brit nominations. It's the first time in 10 years that he's not cont- contended for Best British Male, Best British Album, or Best British Single which is fairly unthinkable for someone who was King of the Brits. Like, he dominated them previously, yeah. and now he's uh, left with nothing. Meanwhile, 
Oasis are announced to be receiving the award for outstanding contribution to music. Oh. So, take that, killing it. Yeah. Oasis, still killing it. About yeah. to be given, like, a, basically a lifetime achievement award. Like, it's not an actual award. It's like, you know, the, 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 the big one. You know what I mean? Ah, oh, it's so harsh. It's like a reversal of the fates. It's like a, some Greek tragedy. Like. Yeah, like, honestly, like, it's like the fall of someone here is huge. Yeah. And at the same time, everyone around him is on a rapid ascension. Although, as we know, Oasis is about to bubble over anyway. So, well, well you say it's 2008. We're getting, we're getting pretty near Paris is all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, 19th of January, Noel Gallagher rips into Robbie Williams, calls Box fucking dog shite. <laughs> Again, Noel's not wrong. Thirteenth <laughs> uh, of February, Robbie goes into rehab to undergo treatment for prescription drug addiction. Um, this is framed by the press in a very, very uncharitable manner. It's they basically say, "Oh, he's attention seeking." It's the story somehow becomes that he's going to rehab for caffeine addiction. So people oh, are like, "Well, so it's not a real thing, Robbie. What are you doing? You're just attention seeking. Take that. Doing really well. Your album is shit and didn't do well." That's kind of the general yeah, attitude towards it. Yeah, I understand the narrative they're trying to spin. Um, but that's not true. He was addicted to painkillers and he needed to go to rehab. He said that if he didn't go to rehab at this point, he thinks he would be dead. Yeah, no one in the mid 2000s died from painkiller addiction, did they? Mm. Uh, then yeah. the day after, the 14th of February, Valentine's Day, take that win Best British Single at the Brits. Throughout the show, host Russell Brand makes uh, multiple jokes about Robbie going into rehab. From Russell Brand? Russell Brand, yeah. Nice. Oh, fuck off. I will say, I didn't actually... That's just something he says in his book. I didn't watch it, so I can't verify that. But, and, like, Russell Brand cannot get on a yeah. high horse. Obviously, there are there are headlines for this uh, tabloid thing, so there may not be some truth to them, but I'm putting them in because I think they paint a good yeah. portrait of where his life was at this point. Yeah, even if they're not factually true, they are what the public was perceiving to yeah. be true because they were yeah. being said by tabloids. Uh, on 4th of March, Shine... Better take that. One of their biggest songs goes to number one in the UK charts. It is about Robbie Williams. Yeah, that one's about Robbie. Oh, is it? Yeah. I also think classic song, really good song. Yeah. What is that one that's like shine? Yeah, the Morrison's one. Yeah. Why is it about Robbie? It, it, I think they say it's about his battles with depression and stuff. It's saying like you know, pick yourself off your feet. Come on, you, oh, okay. we believe in you. Is that Do kind people of thing? know that it's about Robbie? Like at the top? No, no. It was no. quite like a. It didn't I think it was only that. after they reunited, probably they announced. It. That is some. Real bullshit, though, that the one that goes to number one is the one specifically about your depression mm-hmm. while you're clearly suffering with a drug addiction and probably depression. I, if this was happening to me, I would be depressed. Oh, Robbie was 100% depressed. Yeah, like yeah. If, if what you asked, if Noel Gallagher went on TV and told me I should kill myself, I'd probably do it. <laughs> uh, the next day, the 5th of March, Robbie Williams wins worst album at the Enemy Awards, which is interesting because obviously Enemy liked the album. This was a fan voted thing. So people went in and voted for what they were. And they say it was like overwhelming for Rootbox. Like they've never seen numbers that high voting Rootbox or West Album. It was like such a pile on. Like, man. how many of those yeah. people do you think even listened to it? None of them. Exactly. This, this feels like the sort of thing that happens. Like, this is hive mind stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you see it on the mm-hmm. internet all the time. Like, people, I can't think of an example off the top of my head right now, but you like, someone will dislike something marginally, so we'll all pile into it and be like, it's the worst thing to ever exist. Yeah. It just simply isn't. Like, if you, this makes me like the album more. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 13th of March, Robbie checks out of rehab. So he's only in there for a month. I think he said he was initially supposed to stay there for like six or eight weeks, but at that point he felt like he was okay to go. And, uh, you know, it seems like he was. Like, he doesn't go back to rehab okay. after this point. It seems like he was good. Whatever again. 
I don't think he goes ever again. I'm not, not sure. percent sure. Yeah, I feel like this might not be true. Does just post comeback Robbie just publicly like a bit more strike like together, or is he still a bit mental? We'll get there. Okay, yeah, yeah. 18th of April. Now this is a story that I couldn't believe when I saw the headline, and I'm just it just it's so perfect for us. Um, the headline is Robbie Williams Pesci threat. <laughs> Pesci try and give him a ring and he turns it down. Or... Robbie Williams was left terrified after his neighbour Joe Pesci threatened him I with... know this! This threat... is about his pool, right? No. No, okay, threat... shit. That's uh, a Led Zeppelin guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. I know that one thing about him. Is it not his dad's house as well? Robbie Williams no, it's his, dad's his house. house, but I think his dad lives there. Uh, oh, okay, that's it. Uh, Robbie Williams was left terrified after his neighbour Joe Pesci threatened him with a golf club during a furious bust-up. Pesci saw red when Robbie invited friends over to his LA home for a game of football and they blocked Pesci's driveway with their cars. Pesci stormed out, branching a club, ranting, which one of you motherfuckers blocked my drive? If you don't move in 30 seconds, I'm going to smash a windscreen. Robbie initially thinks he's joking, but quickly realises that he's not. Yeah, I would yes, not be man. laughing at Joe yes. Pesci. And he gets his friends to move the cars, and the next morning he puts a sign up saying no parking. Now, there are two additional things to this story. One of them, I'm not sure if it's true, but it was reported in tabloids, and one of them he talks about on Graham Norton, because this is one of his Graham Norton show stories. He says that um, kind of the next day he was at an Italian restaurant, uh, just, you know, eating, uh, when a thick Italian ac- Italian-American accent man comes up to him and says, you did a good thing for Joey. <laughs> Rob- Robbie then notices everyone kissing this man on the cheek as they leave the restaurant. Oh, no way. <laughs> but he feels like he's, he's obligated to be like, well, I have to do it because, you know, he's spoken to me, I have to acknowledge him. Um, so he goes to do the same, but it's too awkward to do so, and just kisses his Adam's apple instead. <laughs> I'm so confused. You know the kissing cheek thing is the mafia, right? Oh no, of course yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Like... I'm. That didn't happen. He he says it on Graham Norton. There is an additional thing to this story, which seems like it should come before that part. <laughs> so you did a good thing for Joey. <laughs> on the seventh of May, it's reported that Robbie Williams buys Joe Pesci a Bentley. To apologise for aggravating Pesci, Robbie buys him a Bentley and leaves it in Pesci's drive and waits for him. Pesci comes out shouting again because he thinks someone else has parked in this drive, but calms down when Robbie reveals it's a gift for him, and Pesci reportedly gives Robbie a box of film memorabilia as thanks. That's kind of cute. Yeah. I'd like to live next to Joe Pesci. That is, I just love that he's exactly like that in real yeah. life. <laughs> what, like ever? <laughs> Which one are you? <laughs> Robbie, well, oh yeah, okay, Robbie. What's your best Pesci performance, Home Alone? <laughs> I think it's probably the advert for Alexa where like <laughs> Google thing is like I was in that you know I really that was before the, I lived next to I really like the idea of someone being like Pesci's best film was like Home Alone 2 <laughs> hey Robbie Williams yeah so you see the, his penis is nothing like the let love be your energy video I tell you that much I tell you that much I tell you <laughs> <laughs> he that. says it's an illusion <laughs> You've gone to Trump. You've now entered Trump, I'm <laughs> But uh, So, John uh, wanted to keep this information yeah. from me, because I, I tried my best not to avoid it, but one time I just googled Robbie Williams' message board and it was like the fifth result, so I, I was just like, I think I've found it, and then we explained, and then John just sent me that, it's what it is, gif. <laughs> <laughs> we did all we could. Perfect. That's but, why yeah. I, I set up a Pesci impression at the start of last yeah. year as well. That's the... Uh... 
Robbie Williams, Joe Pesci saga. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just repeat that. That's the Robbie Williams, Joe Pesci saga at an end. That's the next Lucasfilm trilogy. <laughs> uh, so on the 15th of the May... Pesci saga. <laughs> on the 15th of May, Robbie Williams confesses he regularly contacts dead Rat Pack stars, <laughs> including Dean oh. Martin and Frank Sinatra. Um... He enjoys the company of his ghostly chums so much he likes to hang out at an L.A. cemetery. He's studying black magic to make better use of his abilities. He added, he added I think I do have powers. I've seen things. My sister's dog jumping at her feet when it passed away years before. Green light's coming in at my window, too. So he wants to be buds with ghost Frank Sinatra. Yep. Do I take pause? Are you okay? I think I pull- I'm alright now, but I think I was laughing so hard at that I might have pulled something in my thigh. I'm, I'm just gonna... <laughs> I just need to walk for a sec. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. I, oh god, I'm like that scared me. It was like I felt like a pop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's worth pointing out that around this time during 2005 and six, he, he's focusing his efforts on his soccer team, LA Vale, which he founded. Uh, it, the name is a reference to Port Vale, but it's based in LA. It's a yeah. funny name. I can't lie. Uh, however, the club is also disbanded at some point in 2006 mm. after Williams discovers that two of the players have, had swindled him out of 200,000 pounds. How do you even do that? I don't know exactly that. how that happens, but that's, that's the shame. end of LA Vale. 16th of October, coming back to something you just mentioned not too long ago, Robbie, Will- Robbie Williams would be willing to kill for Britney Spears. He's very defensive, defensive of her and hates the way the paparazzi treats her. He says it makes his blood boil. Interestingly, this comment contrasts with something that Gary Barlow says, uh, I think just about a year later, when he launches a fairly scathing attack on her. Um, it's at the time when Take That's album The Circus is up against Britney's in the charts and he calls her rubbish he says she's more famous than she deserves to be he doesn't see the point in her anymore and fellow Take That uh, member Howard Donald also calls her stupid for miming a performance on X Factor Britney Spears is more talented than I that. think that like Britney Spears could just destroy Gary Barlow in that instant by saying what are you talking about you melt <laughs> <laughs> like je- why are they slagging why are Take That slagging off Britney Spears they have no high ground to stand on imagining like Gary Barlow and Howard Donald sort of aggressively talking about so, like Gary like how is the hype man like like Gary ba- like it just is such a surreal image to me I can't oh, imagine God. Gary being that spiteful. that's that's really pissed me off <laughs> was this pre or post Britney like meltdown oh when was Chris uh, Crocker I'm talking I'm talking probably, bold smashing in windows break down probably post or happening around the same time yeah. I guess I think I've said again I can see why Robbie would choose to defend Spears yeah. because he's in a kind of similar position yeah, he's, in, yeah, he's, yeah. In, he's in a near identical position yeah. where the press is just hounding him uh, the next two headlines I don't have any context for it's just funny to read them as is 21st of October Robbie Williams I love heroin and bum sex <laughs> yeah don't we all Robbie <laughs> we've all been there mate 22nd of October Rob- Robbie Williams addicted to sugar free ice lollies Again, we've all been there. Uh, so by this point, we're getting to the end of 2007. Robbie essentially consi- considers, considers himself retired from being a pop star. He doesn't want to go back to touring anything. He's not interested in that lifestyle anymore. He is, however, still songwriting and still working with songwriting partners. So we'll have people come over to his house to write songs with. Kind of just because it's what he does. I think he's got into the rhythm of doing it. He enjoys doing it, so he's still doing it. Although he doesn't necessarily intend on coming back and being Robbie Williams, selling out stadiums and arenas and everything. Yeah, he just... Like, it's, it's pointing to remember that people that are normally talented and famous aren't talented and famous by luck. They're people who are incredibly devoted and skilled in their craft yeah. and, like, love their craft. So it makes complete sense that even if he, does, even if he doesn't want to release the music, 
He's still on the right stuff because yeah. he loves that. He that's what he loves doing. From all accounts, he does sound like a genuinely hard worker with regards to songwriting. Yeah, I mean, you don't release this many albums like that, and mm. all be, I mean, they're all pretty good. Even the bad ones aren't that bad. I mean, intensive, intensive care, care is, is the bad. yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll forget about that. But if you ignore intensive care, it, it, there's moments of badness, but it's still good. Um, so yeah, that's I I I can see why he would be doing yeah. that. Uh, so this brings us to. We good? Yeah, yeah, all good. This brings us to 2008, and on the 23rd of January, a story breaks about uh, the impact of the kind of commercial failure of Rootbox, which I'll let Matthew uh, take. Uh oh. Okay, let me just get this. Let me just get this up. We're talking in like a bankrupt. Okay. I'm not sure. No. Are they still about? I don't know. Make things up. So. Uh, so imagine this, Nathan, right? Your previous album by this artist sold over 6 million copies worldwide. You reckon you'd make quite a lot of CDs, you know, to fit that demand. But the artist only ends up doing 2 and a bit million worldwide. So what so do you, you do with the leftover CDs? 3.5 million CDs about. What you My do is, is incredible. you crush them up and use them to pave Chinese roads. Are you joking? If you go to China or a certain place where you can be walking on Roodbox, where? We <laughs> How expensive are flights to China? Well, basically, okay. What happened was, it has been revealed that over one million unsold copies of Robbie Williams' last record, Rude Box, are due to be sent to the country to be crushed. So they were used to make street, street lighting, road surfacing, and the like. And um, this was because there was a new head of EMI at the time, a guy with the amazing name Guy Hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got pretty Guy Hands, yeah. <laughs> He was another guy who emerged from the guy chambers. <laughs> <laughs> but he basically said that, yeah, we're looking to um, cut costs now when we're, producing, when we're releasing albums and such. So they explicitly said, in an outrageously cruel move, that, yeah, Rude Box, by the way, we're crushing a million copies of that to pave Chinese roads. They didn't seem to specify any other albums in the thing. They just It's, it's just so cruel to be like, yeah, well, specifically Rude Box. You guys hate that, right? That's the headline, though, isn't it? Haha. <laughs> Bad album, bad. We're gonna throw it in the garbage and recycle it. By the way, good use of recycling. Well done, everyone. It is. It, it, I just feel like that's so for Robbie. That must be heartbreaking. Because you've got to admit, this is most personal thing, and it's being crushed to make Chinese roads. In its millions. Uh, I will say to give like Robbie, uh, you know, his version of the story. In reveal, he claims, or him and the writer Chris, he claimed that. Um, they don't think that story was true. They think it was fabricated, which I don't buy because mm -hmm. there is kind of a fair amount of damage control in that book. They say like how even though Rude Box's sales were disappointing for Robbie Williams, it would have been great for any other artist. It's kind of, they do stuff like that to try and couch the failure of it. that's true, but the other artists aren't Robbie Williams. And it's like, it just makes sense. They obviously would have printed a lot of CDs because they would have expected the level of demand based on his yeah. previous albums, and it just didn't meet it. Like, yeah, obviously, and, and it's an easy commercial deal. We'll pay you like you know half a million for all this plastic, and yeah. we'll reuse it. And like microplastics like that are used in tarmac. And it's like the the source itself of this claim is a Guardian interview with Guy Hands, the head of EMI at the time. So yeah, it I just seems like legit to me. Yeah. I just it's it's such a visceral like it's like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred game ET that sold so badly it essentially destroyed the video game industry for two years and they had to yeah. bury the unsold copies in like a like a Mexican desert like uh, it just is beautiful to me that there was a Robbie Williams album that did so poorly it had to be crushed en masse <laughs> 
crushed on that. <laughs> it's incredible it's sold 2.6 million copies. It did really well in Mexico. Oh, it did really, <laughs> it did well, really well in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> they were actually just throwing it in the hole of the uh, ET game. <laughs> <laughs> it actually, like, Robbie Williams that year in 2006, he actually won Best International Solo Artist at the MTV VMAs. In Latin America, by the way. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, yeah so 25th of January, we now start to enter conspiracy Robbie mode. Yes. And we have the headline... We've, we've been waiting so long for this We moment. have the headline, Ike Chump, Robbie Williams has a new pal. As he starts hanging out with David Icke. Who's David oh, it's Icke? a pun on Icky Thump. <laughs> Who's you, you might? Wait, you don't know David Icke? I think I do, but you might need to explain who that is. Oh, oh, you mean okay? David Icke, uh, conspiracy theorist extraordinaire, uh, credited with originating the reptilian thing—the general belief that you know all powerful people in the world descend from an elite race of lizard aliens who had lived under the Earth's surface for millions of years. He's also associated with some very, very unpleasant people, sort of Holocaust denial circles and the likes of that. And also he um, has sort of repeatedly made inferences that he may be the son of God and once said that he thought the moon was a hollow space station just because he looked at it and realised that it was. Yeah, I yeah. I sucks. Yeah. Uh, on the 8th of March, 2008, I've been visited by aliens, said Robbie. Seriously, I want to go out and investigate these things. I'm stopping being a pop star and becoming a full-time ufologist. We could be like Mulder and Scully in real life, he told his girlfriend. You're always mega busy, but I've got nothing on at the minute. Robbie added that the first time he'd seen a UFO was when he was a kid, but he had two other close encounters that were more, more recent. I was at the Beverly Hills Hotel and I was lying on, my, lying on my sun lounge outside at night looking up. Then, about 300 foot above me, there was a square thing which just passed over my head silently and then shot off. The next one was the weirdest one yet. I'd just written a song called Arizona, and it's all about alien contact, and I was playing that. I stood on the balcony, and there was this big ball of god light that turned up. We thought it was Venus or Mars or something. Then the song stops playing, and it disappears. But then we put Arizona on again, and the ball turned back up. It happened four times. After that, a massive electrical storm started, and these two big, massive balls of light start dancing in the sky. It was like a whole light show for about an hour. Understandably, Robbie realizes that his comments are unlikely to be well received. People will think this geezer's been in rehab, he's off his head, he predicted, for adding... How mental are they going to make me out in the papers? Robbie even reveals that he set up Google News alerts on UFOs so he can get his daily fix of all things extraterrestrial. What do you even say? Like, So, uh, this ties into the Viva Life on Mars stuff. Yeah. Robbie yeah. was a proper alien head. Yeah, like, on the forums. So, like, it's not just a song about how great it is to be a space alien, but it's about... I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's about it's online conspiracies that he sincerely believed in. But in three years, like, how much he's fallen. Uh, on the 13th of April, it's announced that Robbie Williams is to present a Radio 4 show alongside John Ronson about aliens called Journey to the Other Side, I think is what it's yeah. called, right? And this airs on the 6th of May. Uh, I, did you listen to it as well? Uh, no, I didn't. No. I listened to something. It's like a 30-minute radio show. Um, basically, John Ronson receives an unexpected phone call from Robbie Williams, asks, ask, asking, asking him if he wants to go looking for aliens in the desert. In the <laughs> um, at this point, uh, Robbie does not look like Robbie Williams usually looks like. Have you got it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll we'll thread this on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, just yeah, show uh, him how he looks. Robbie Williams, uh, at this point, looks like this. 
But the one on the right is Robin. Yes, the one who looks exactly like Fidel Castro. No, no, no. You know who he looks like? He looks like um, the cook from Well American Summer. <laughs> to be fair, I also think at this point in time, Robbie probably was fucking cans of peas as well. <clears throat> but like you, you, that is that is insane that that is Robbie Williams. <sighs> like for reference, he has an insane-looking beard at the time, which completely changed the look of his face. And he's wearing this all khaki green thing with a khaki green cap that is, like, that's why I said he looks like Fidel Castro. <laughs> it does look a little bit like Like, like I, that, I yeah. don't know what made him want to... Like, look at this side profile. That, that like... Okay, no, that is Fidel Castro. It's insane. Like, that, that one is a Fidel Castro. <laughs> uh... Yeah, so we have Robbie, the bearded Fidel Castro lookalike, hunting for aliens, when just two years previous he set the Guinness World Record for the most tickets sold within 24 hours. That's uh, fucking mental. Robbie had first contacted Bronson a few years before this to say that he liked the book he wrote on conspiracy theorists. It seems to be a common thing with Robbie if he reads something and likes it, he would just send an email to the author to try and become friends with them. Um, In fairness, if I wrote some Robbie email, I'd be like, I like this. I'd also be like, cheers, mate. We can be friends. Let's go hunt some aliens. Yeah, uh, I'd hunt aliens, Robbie Williams. At the time, he originally asked John Watson if he knew any good haunted houses because he wanted to spend a night in one. <laughs> uh, but Robbie ultimately cancelled that because of his workload. Um, yeah. I don't have time for haunted houses, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but this time, they obviously agree to meet up and they go to this international UFO convention in Nevada. Um... When he first <laughs> when he first meets Robbie and like goes into his house in LA, he apparently has piles of DVDs all about alien conspiracies. Oh no. He has tons of DVDs just this, like, is, oh. yeah. this is a man off the deep end. Uh, and he also he spends a lot of time on conspiracy sites just with his own name? Uh no, he makes up a fake name. I can't remember what it is, but people find out it's Robbie anyway. Yeah. And some people are receptive to it. They're like, uh, okay, you know, Robbie Williams is maybe giving us a bit more attention. And some people are like, no, he's making a joke of us. Um, but he does become active in UFO forums. Oh, fair enough. This is what uh, Rubox does to a mother. <laughs> uh, so yeah. they go to this conference in Nevada. Um, they're only there for a few minutes when they're told there was a fight between two reptilians the night before. <laughs> Uh, they meet a man who claims to have a tissue sample from a lizard person. Yes! They attend a conference by a woman who claims her son had disturbing experiences at the hands of many different alien species. Yes. And Robbie gets a book signed by her. Uh, they also talk about something interesting, how a few years prior, Robbie had invited a psychic to his house. And the psychic then sold the story to the son under the headline, I helped Robbie Williams talk to his dead nan. But, um, I remember we talked about that, I feel. Did we not? I think we mentioned a psychic at some point, but yeah, I think it was I, early on in his career. I'll be honest, it just all feels very much. Uh, but yeah, so at the convention, Robbie buys 15 more UFO DVDs, Jesus uh, and then they leave. They don't see any aliens. <laughs> oh, damn it! At, at the UFO convention, the aliens didn't turn up for that yeah. one. Oh, the cheap, they were booked in and everything. Uh, but this whole incident is basically enough fuel for the UK press to say he's completely lost touch with reality. He's a crazy man. I mean... He did go hunting for aliens. Yeah. yeah. I feel rude, but I can see why that would be the narrative spun. Uh, go on. No, I'm just baffled that, like, there is a direct, like, chain of, like, cause, like, a causation between releasing Rudebox, your lead single, and ending up as the bearded alien hunter. Being be as a Fidel Castro cosplayer <laughs> hunting aliens with, at the UFO convention with people who think they've got lizard samples. <laughs> like, that's what you just mean. Uh, it's 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 in like that. That's why we say that single ruined his career. Yeah. Yep. 
I mean, you could go as far as to start to say maybe it ruined his life. Well, uh, on the 18th of May, I think we discussed this briefly before, Robbie Williams loses his drummer Chris Sharrock to Oasis. Yes. He was the guy who also... He was the drummer from World Party who then worked with Robbie who then went with Oasis. Uh, the 28th of September. I tried as hard as I could to see if there was any like images of this tabloid images, but there's not. Robbie Williams has made his first public appearance in three months wearing a gorilla suit. Man, I, that sounds amazing. The <laughs> uh, 30th of, of September. Robbie Williams' girlfriend leaves him because of his obsession with aliens. Oh, now, I will say, I included it because I think it's pretty funny, but this one's probably bullshit because mm. we can talk at this point uh, how Robbie is now dating his future wife, Ida Field. They okay. meet in 2006. Um, they break up a few times here and there, but they do end up staying together. Is there anything you want to talk about, about the meeting specifically? or? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just get this. Oh. It just feels like the sort of thing where they probably had a breakup and the press wanted something to blame it on, so yeah. they went for the crazy man. Let's see. Um... It's not Robbie's fault he sees more than everyone else. Um, I can't find the exact thing, but the thing I was on about was that he first met her hours after shagging his drug dealer, which was just an interesting little thing. Great yep. times, yeah. Uh, yeah, he wasn't into her at first, but they kind of went to a party together and he gradually started becoming more attracted to her. It seems like he was kind of a real piece of shit towards her a lot throughout these years. Like, he would, one time when they broke up, he just stopped contacting her. Like, he didn't say anything to her. He just completely shut off and didn't say anything. Which, obviously, he was going through struggles at this point as well, but... Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of not a very nice situation all around. Then, in November 2008, Robbie returns to Stoke with Ida. He said it was important for him to return home. He needed some. He needed to reconnect with something real and find something to ground him to his pre-fame days. Uh, but also, at this point, he does buy an £8 million mansion in Swindon, which isn't exactly grounded. Yeah, I, always, I also keep myself grounded by buying an £8 million <laughs> mansion uh, But he is planning on moving back to the UK at this point. Uh, I think this mansion is also like near a hotspot for UFOs, so he's not leaving that behind. No, of course it is. No, I just really like the look. Look at the view; it's great. It's a great location. Robbie, worry. No, it's just is because the no, no, it's not about the aliens. No, I just always wanted to live in Swindon. <laughs> uh, and then in 2009, there's an incident on Valentine's Day where Robbie takes Ida to see Port Vale play Brentford. Um, oh, how big romantic! Game. Big game, big game, big game. <laughs> Port Vale lose 2-0, but the crowd notices Robbie, and they start chanting, you're not famous anymore, at him. Oh my god! Uh, Robbie apparently... <laughs> I love football crowds. <laughs> Robbie sings back, I'll buy you and turn you into a Tesco, and I've got more fans than you. What does that mean? That's good. That's good banner. I like that. Uh, but that's kind of like the last specific news story I have. Obviously, 2009, he's back in the UK. Later in the year, he releases another album. Um, which we'll discuss when we get to, obviously. Uh, and also at this point, he reportedly wants to rejoin Take That. So it's in his interest now to join them. Uh, kind of during these wilderness years, he claims that he suffered from uh, agoraphobia during this time, which is why he became shy. Which one's agoraphobia? Fear Staying of, inside. Yeah, fear of open spaces, yeah. Um, he was apparently, during these years, offered £15 million to take over from Simon Cowell on American Idol, uh, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. He claims that during Why this... on American Idol? He's not I famous don't know. there. Very strange. Um, he claims during this uh, period of time that the killer song, Human, helped him recover from agoraphobia, specifically the song's lyrics, and sometimes I get nervous when I see an open door. He explained, I remember listening to that killer song and something in that moment made me think, I'd better get my arse in gear, put an album together and tour. 
I mean, that's kind of cute. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good uh, song as well. And also, at some point uh, during the Rude Box Wilderness years, he had an album ready to go that would have petrified the record company, he says. It was apparently full of bleeps and blobs and strange lyrics and no choruses. <laughs> uh, he thought about just putting it out on the internet free, but decided against it because he felt it would maybe indicate he wasn't really bothered about it. So I don't know what happened to that album, if it maybe morphed into Reality Killed the Video Star, or if, it, if he just never released it. my ad. It's a really good title. Mm. Like, I don't want to get down, but that, that title, really good. Reality Killed the Video Star. But yeah, so that's pretty much all I have on Robbie in the years 2006 to nine, uh, which obviously a major fall for him. Uh, I mean, even more so by kind of Oasis and take that at the time. Uh, yeah. I've got to be real. The way they treat him is it's got me shaking my damn root box. <laughs> <laughs> Shake my damn root box. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. It's um. Completely unfair, considering like we've all sort of come to the conclusion the album has some very good stuff on it. It it's not the it's nothing the near price, what it was. The album is called Rootbox. That's <laughs> 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 like, some consideration. Like I genuinely think if you stuck with Quiet Nineteen Seventy Four, the world would be a different place. Like we'd have like flying cars. <laughs> 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 Gonna make one of them memes like yeah. society. <laughs> oh. Legitimately, that's all kind of really sad and also kind of insane is he still into his conspiracies a lot uh yeah that's a year yeah oh boy yeah um well okay man I, it feels like a, it feels like a marathon we've just gone through i think we're pretty much done here yeah i mean unless you have anything else that i didn't mention but... i'll just give one last scan of the notes but i reckon we're pretty much done I mean, there's a story about him. Uh, he, he, he was apparently, not sure how true this is, but looking up old school friends and stuff and Friends Reunited and trying to meet them, but using it more often than not to try and shag girls he fancied at school. Big which, up. <laughs> spec. Yeah. But, well, um, would you also not do that if you were a pop star? Uh, it, it's a bit no, weird. I, I feel like, yeah, if you get to a pop star, you can do better than the girls you went to school with, probably. <laughs> he, he met up... So maybe it was a very impressive year. He, um... Basically, uh, yeah, he, he it said that like he hung out with this girl for a while, and apparently it's kind of sad. But there's a characterization of Robbie as a guy who like immediately once he feels anything for like a woman, he immediately fantasizes about like marrying her and like living together forever and stuff. And there was this woman who he hung around with um, for a while and took her to Beverly Hills and stuff. They gave each other the nicknames Flank and Spank. Um, oh That's no, no, horrific. Sorry, Flank and Spank are Robbie Williams and Jonathan Wilkes nicknames for each other. That still horrific, yeah. but makes more sense. Um, but I, I don't. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, we didn't really notice it. Um, so you know how I said about the guy in Iron Man Three who explodes? Mm-hmm. He'd do an awful lot of Iron Man Three talk for a while. It is actually podcast. insane how specifically Iron Man Three keeps. Cro- I've, I've, yeah. I feel like I've never seen. Yeah, like, you should watch it. It's I've good. heard it's like actually good. It's yeah, way better than Two, is what I've heard. But I mean, so are most films. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, basically, uh, Ashley Hamilton, the guy who played the guy in Fire, Iron Man 3, he tried to sue Robbie Williams because he claimed that he actually wrote part of She's Madonna with Robbie years before the album. No idea what came of that, but I think it's, you know, it's maybe possible. It's not the first time Robbie's got a bit entangled in something like that, is it? Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, aside from that, I just found out somewhere, no real way to put this anywhere, but, like, um... Gary Barlow sung some of the backing vocals on Can You Feel the Love Tonight on the Lion King soundtrack. Oh, really? 
really? Yeah. Well, that's a nice fact. I always ask the new one, but obviously the original. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, this is stuff we're going to cut, but you know, it's just nice yeah. to tell you guys that. Okay, uh, so we. I think we're done. done. Yeah. It's okay. such a shame to watch his stardom and, well, I guess, personal life really fall apart so much while people that are rivals to him enjoy such success. Yeah. It, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it's all swings and roundabouts, right? You I get mean, the same thing. At the same way. point, him getting to this point does mean he meets Ida. And I feel like we maybe haven't like sold how big a role she ends up playing in his life. Like she is a major grounding thing for him, and like I think it helps him stay sober and everything. Yeah, going yeah, forward. of course. I mean, I'm saying his personal life fell apart, but yeah, he meets the woman he's going to marry. Yeah. I think that's a, I think our trade in UFO hunting for that. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. a that's a pretty good trade off. Like it's it's good for him as well. I'm I'm happy he's you know found someone. That's 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 good. Yeah, this is that's how the read box closes. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. <laughs> I cannot believe that this song, this like this 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 recording has started with us talking about read box and ended with us. It's much like the being, album itself. Yeah, being happy for him finding his wife from this hard time and genuinely just feeling sympathetic and sorry for like what the press did to him. That like, I mean, I'm. Sh- Let's not cry too much. The guys are multi-millionaire. Yeah. Got to live in LA. Not, not to be insensitive, but as much as there is a tragic element to it, I think that also makes it funny in a sense. Like if I think if Harmony Corinne made a movie about these three years of Robbie Williams' life, it would be incredible. Yeah. Like it's such a spectacular yeah. fall from grace and all the weird shit that happens to him in this time period. <laughs> it's yeah, like without a doubt, the shit like turning up looking like Fidel Castro in your folk princess is fucking hilarious. But like. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I, I guess you feel sorry because you don't want anyone attacked by the press like that. But again, I will repeat it. He still wants to be a multi-millionaire living next door to Joe Pesci who, because he upset his neighbour a bit, could buy him a Bentley. I don't think he struggled that much. Like, Well, he had the entire country's press turned against him. Yeah, but he just went to the other country. Where? Yeah, but... Like, it's, this isn't like Twitter days. Like, if you don't live in that country, how the fuck are you getting the press? Well, you get threatened with a golf club by Joe Pesci. Which is worse. <laughs> I, 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 that sounds like a dream for me. I'm well up for it. Didn't Joe Pesci used to be a bouncer in New Jersey? Is that not right? I don't know. It wouldn't... Obviously, like, he's... You'd think he's too short to be a bouncer, but he's also Joe Pesci. Isn't... I swear you told me this. Isn't one of the people in the, like, musical Jersey Boys Joe Pesci? No, no, it's about Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons, though. Oh, okay, maybe that's it. Oh, he's I a really swear... similar guy to Joe Pesci. He's I swear saying. someone told me it was Joe There's Pesci. something ringing vaguely similar to that. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, obviously it's not Joe Pesci playing yeah. them, but, like, it's Joe Pesci, like, the person. Oh, this is insane. This is very interesting. So, um, Joe Pesci was a good friend of Tommy DeVito, and Pesci introduced Tommy DeVito and Frankie Valli to sing a songwriter, Bob Gardio. So, yeah, um, Joe Pesci actually had a hand in forming the uh, the founding of the four, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. I feel like one of the characters in Jersey Boys, maybe not one of the lead ones, is based around Joe Pesci that would make being sense. a bouncer in Jersey at the time. Wait, no, wait, 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 no. Oh, no, wait. It's so nice to have this over you guys. It's always the other way. Yo, Jesus Christ. So, you know the guy who Joe Pesci, like, 
Joe Pesci was a friend of Tommy DeVito and then was around during the fall. The, the, wait, no, that's no. I, if I'm remembering correctly, we uh, should do a Joe Pesci podcast after this. Oh, completely different guy. But the guy is the same name as the guy from Goodfellas that Joe Pesci plays. It's a pretty okay. wild coincidence. But um, okay, uh, this has been the most eventful episode yet. This has been an epic. Of Robbie Williams. Yeah, content. I'm so sorry you guys had to sit through this. <laughs> but wow, this this kind of stuff is the reason this podcast exists in the first yeah. place. Yeah, we Just have acres of stories. <laughs> we had multiple pages of headlines for you. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, and on top of that, the most discussable album we've had so far. Yeah, the album's interesting. Mm. The album, the album is good. It's a good album. Yeah, with the exception of the Rude Hogs. Which again is like so, Rude Box like exists on its own plane. It doesn't belong anywhere, but it's like on that album. It just feels like it feels like you get like Men in Black mind wiped after the end of the song. It's just like it doesn't feel a part of the experience at all. Yeah, I I cannot. If you've somehow made it this far, okay, <laughs> just invest the time to go and listen to the album as well because it's definitely worth it. You want to skip the odd track here or there, go for it. But you'll listen to it and then you'll get to the end and be like. How the fuck do they belong on the same record? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I think that brings this episode of Down the Robbie Hole to a close. Next time, we'll be joining you for his eighth studio album, the 2009 Reality Killed the Video Star. Great name. I've been Matthew. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Nathan. See you next time, Down the Robbie Hole. Okay. Okay, then, back to basics. I think I can do that from memory at this point. I'll listen to that song more times than I'll listen to that song.